Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network. I am your host, Justin Soder, and this evening I have the great privilege of sharing the company with our usual show guests, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicotta, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency and Father, thanks for being back again. It's great to have you both here with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be back. Francis Watch is sponsored by Novus Ordo Watch. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, alarmed at what Francis has been saying recently? Then log on to NovusOrdoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, Novus Ordo Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion, the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org, that's NovusOrdoWatch.org, to see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. To receive access to the entire catalog of Restoration Radio episodes, please visit RestorationRadioNetwork.com, go to the member area on the menu bar, and find out details on becoming a member. Well, Your Excellency and Father, it's been uh, about three months since we've all been on the show together. Uh, no, Father, you are on vacation, and I was doing all kinds of uh, website development and everything, so I want to thank um, uh, Joshua Guncher and, and Stephen Heiner for, for filling in for me. And we've had some staggering developments uh, since we were all last on the show together. So let's start off, Father. Um, maybe you could give us a broad overview. I was just We were talking pre-show, and I said that... Um, you know, we're now 18 months into the Bergoglio Revolution since he came to Rome last year. And we began Francis Watch this season with show one, which sort of springboarded off several clerical conversations on the crisis about Bergoglio that we did last season. And I think we're starting to see things come pretty much unhinged in Rome. And, you know, the overall view of Francis amongst those who identify themselves as Catholic and have any shred of Catholicism left within them. Um, could you give us a kind of an overview, Father, like a macro view as to what you're seeing and where we are in this this whole Bergoglio revolution? Well, what we're seeing at this point now seems to be open battles uh, over the um, issues of the Synod and over other issues as well between the what you could call the conservative wing of the post-Vatican II Church and the more progressive modernist wing. There's been sniping and battling uh, back and forth in, in the press over the Synod and over uh, many other issues by high ecclesiastics. And this is something that's really extraordinary because the uh, Church at one point had the uh, idea traditionally of what they called bella figura. In other words, you you've, uh, no matter what your agreements are, that you always try to put on a somewhat agreeable face. But it seems that the mask has slipped, and the uh, different personages are battling back and forth. If I could give it a a, uh, a theme to the scenario, uh, Bergoglio is chaos frank, and it's the chaos frank scenario that uh, we're seeing. Bergoglio said in his uh, visit to uh, South America, to, to uh, Rio for Youth Day, he, he encouraged the uh, youth down there to stir things up and to make a mess, he said. And I think the Spanish word is, is leo that they use. This is exactly what he has done. He has uh, set members of the Novus Ordo Church uh, kind of against each other, uh, 
and they're at each other's throats now. And I think that this is a this is part of a, a strategy that he's he's a true revolutionary, and he believes that out of this this ferment, and out of this this crisis, and out of this conflict back and forth, even uh, even and especially public conflict, uh, first of all that uh, something new will emerge. A and that B, he can use it as a um, uh, means to destroy the vestiges of the old church structure and the old old church ideas that remain. So that's what I think that we're seeing. It's the chaos Frank scenario. Mm-hmm. Your Excellency, did you have anything to add to that, or do you want to move forward? Uh just that uh, the uh, Catholic Church never had any kind of dispute about dogma in in its ranks. Yes, you could have had uh, some dispute about what things uh, ought to be done, about how to deal with various nations and certain internal disciplinary matters of the Church, and there you could have had some discussion and even opposition within the College of Cardinals and, and Bishops concerning that. But in the history of the Church, you never have uh, dogma factions and people proposing things that are contrary to morality, such as uh, giving communion to uh, people who are living in adultery. This is a very hardcore stuff, and I think that the quote-unquote conservative wing, who are all modernists themselves, uh, are concerned that uh, this is going too far and that it is going to give us a lot of fuel. And when I say us, I mean people who are already saying what we are saying and people who are prepared to say what we are saying because they are noticing it. It's it's bold-faced uh, departure from Catholic doctrine, and it is indefensible from the point of view of continuity. And I mm-hmm. think Mueller and people like him understand that. Uh, as much of a modernist that he is, <laughs> it's amazing that the, the the keepers of the gates now and the, the defenders of the faith are the modernists against the, the radicals. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like the factions in Jerusalem before the destruction, when when the emperor, when the general Titus destroyed it, you had all of these factions among the Jews who were starving to death in Jerusalem, and they were killing each other as the Romans were waiting outside to to take over the city. It's something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking about those who are starting to see things or might see things our way, Novus Ordo Watch has a poll going right now, and the question is asking uh, the, the visitors to the website. What they're going to do when this October Synod makes a formal defection from the faith as it relates to divorce and remarriage and those who are divorced and remarried being permitted to receive the Novus Ordo Sacraments. Now, 53% say they're already set of a contest, so we'll just call them the choir here for the time being. But 15% of the remaining polled participants uh, say that they would, quote, seriously consider that Francis isn't a valid pope, that the whole Vatican II Church is a fraud, and that set of a contest may be right. So, out of all those polls, and this poll just opened, and it runs until October the 5th, 68% of the total polls say that they either are or would seriously begin to consider the set of a contest position. Yes, uh, I think definitely what is uh, happening is uh, people are slowly waking up to the reality that uh, that Vatican II has 
completely and substantially alter the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Well, let's follow up here with a news story, uh, Your Excellency and Father, that actually came out just uh, maybe a day after I got your show planned, Father, and it was on the news of the appointment of uh, Novus Ordo Archbishop Blaise Supich uh, to be the new Archbishop of Chicago. What do you have to say about that, Father? Well, um, this harkens back to the uh, age of uh, Cardinal Bernadin and the uh, great liberal destroyers after the Second Vatican Council. Uh, Supich, you get the impression, is very much in the same mold. He wants to remain neutral in what um, uh, they now call the culture wars, in other words, the the, the, uh, great issues of uh, uh, marriage and contraception and uh, abortion. He doesn't want to talk uh, talk about those things in in moral terms, in in, uh, terms of uh, sin. He is uh, someone who tried to uh, tamp down what we could call uh, right-wing tendencies, conservative tendencies. He uh, forbade, when he was Bishop of Spokane, he forbade priests and seminarians to uh, participate in demonstrations outside uh, uh, abortion clinics. Uh, He also uh, tried to uh, suppress the uh, celebration of the uh, Latin, uh, the traditional Latin Mass, even in situations where it was would would have been permitted under Benedict the uh, Sixteenth's uh, motu proprio. So he he has the uh, he is uh, a man of the left, as it were, and he is very popular with the most progressive wing. Of, of the Novus Ordo Church, National Catholic Reporter, which is sort of their house organ, or I suppose in their case it would be their house guitar, they um, <laughs> are very, very much in in, in favor of uh, Supich, and they think he is a uh, um, uh, that this bodes really well for the future for the uh, implementation of uh, Vatican II in the United States. Chicago is a, a terrific the uh, prominent ecclesiastical appointment. It's an enormous archdiocese, and uh, he uh, will be a real kingmaker and a real force to be reckoned with uh, as the Francis Revolution rolls on in the United States, and it will. Mm-hmm. It's very fascinating he chose Chicago to, to place this man in as well. Well, it's a major sea of the United States. Uh, it, it should also be pointed out that nothing reveals the mind of a prelate more, and especially a pope, uh, than the appointments of bishops that he makes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is so revealing uh, of what is on his mind. For example, the appointments that John Paul II made were absolutely appalling. And yet John Paul II is considered to be this great conservative pope. But he uh, he made appalling uh, uh, appointments all over the world. That's why they, they, it, we have what we have. He, he was around for 25 years. This is why we have Bergoglio's and, and various other uh, modernists, radical modernists. Ratzinger himself, uh, and uh, he was the one that, that brought Ratzinger to Rome. Uh, these, this is a, a uh, actions speak louder than words, and all of the encyclicals and, and various, perhaps, 
somewhat moderating things that John Paul II said or Ratzinger said really uh, amount to just a pile of beans in comparison to what the bishops they appointed and the other things that they did mm-hmm. and and said uh, concerning uh, Catholic doctrine, like uh, Ratzinger, you know, conservative Ratzinger permitting people to use uh, birth control devices uh, under the subterfuge that it could be used by prostitutes only. <laughs> now, if you have a brain, in, in about 30 seconds, you will figure out that, well, if it's okay for prostitutes, it's okay for me, too. It, it, because it concerns morality that is intrinsic to the very nature of man. So the fact that you're a prostitute does not in any way change the morality of that act. So it, just with you know, minimal brain power and a little reflection, about 30 seconds, you figure, well, the Pope says it's okay. Those are the things you really want to watch in these men. And, and Bergoglio's appointment of this uh, creature in Chicago is a very strong sign. But we don't really need strong signs concerning Bergoglio. We, there's plenty that, that is coming off the, the pile of manure. <laughs> you don't need to look to Chicago. Um, no. <laughs> well, one other thing that uh, will give you a little bit of a flavor if, if you've been around as a traditional Catholic um, for a while uh, is uh, to look at how uh, Supic offers the Novus Ordo. And uh, I looked at, at uh, two films of this uh, that were um, uh, linked on this uh, Benedictine liturgy blog, the Pray Tell blog. Uh, of uh, uh, Supage's liturgical celebration. And it's this, uh, oh, real casual, loosey-goosey, um, looking around the room, um, fooling around with the text, uh, that sort of liturgical style. And that's, that's uh, a, an indication uh, that uh, he is someone who is uh, uh, very much in, in, in favor of uh, let's say an, an open, uh, open, more openly modernist approach. He doesn't cover up what he is. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the best way to start off here, Your Excellency and Father, is to explain to the listeners uh, we're going to we're going to break this show into halves. The first half of the show, we're going to talk about the many, many different stories that have popped up since we were last together in June. We're going to try and catch up on that, and then the second half of the show, we're going to go over this October synod. Uh, properly spelled S-I-N-O-D, but uh, <laughs> we'll get to that shortly. And and uh, you know, your Excellency, well, why is, why say that there is none, right? And, I mean, well, exactly. Adultery is right. okay. What, why are we talking about sin? Right. Well, they should call it the Oktoberfest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, it sort of feels like we should have some, you know, some little guy like you know waving a green flag for us to be off the race here with all these stories. So let's let's jump right into it. Uh, the first story that we want to get into here is this. Um, there was a story, uh, and Father, you were commenting about this prior to us going on the air. It was an article from Sandro Magister that came out on July the 8th and she has Express Online about the reform of the papacy being a work in progress. And in this article, uh, Magister refers to Francis's desire. Uh, for, quote, destructuring the papacy as it has been known for two millennia, unquote. Now, this is quite telling because I think it's now so obvious that we're seeing a destruction of the institution of the papacy that it, it really can't be ignored. So, Your Excellency, there are, there are several key points to reflect on in this article, so let's start with the first one. There's a lay monk named Enzo Bianchi 
who pleads with Francis for the papacy to be a, quote, new balance between synodality and supremacy, unquote. I told Father before the show, this is sort of like saying the right balance between dead and alive, isn't it? Well, it, it's to democratize the church. It is to follow the instructions of the 18th century Jansenists, Febronians, and everybody else who wanted to tear down the papacy. Uh, it is to follow the documents of Vatican II, which uh, set up two heads of the church. One, you know, the Pope, and you know, the first part of the the paragraph says something that is practically lifted out of the first Vatican Council. That is the something extremely orthodox about the authority of the Pope. And then, in the next sentence, we find out that, well, the bishops are also, this college of bishops is also the supreme authority of the church. So you have this two-headed thing already in Vatican II in the 1960s. So there's really no surprise here. It's just that it has never really been implemented. And we have to remember that that's what Bergoglio said. At the beginning, Vatican II has never really been implemented. And we should recall that despite all of the changes of Vatican II over the past 50 years, Paul VI, John Paul II, and, and Ratzinger have kept the, their quote-unquote papacy in the same kind of state that it was under Pius XII, a very monolithic authoritarian papacy, as if that didn't need to change. And all Bergoglio is doing is putting through what Vatican II said, and I think he would say that, and he's right. It all goes back to that dreadful document. The others just did not see it as an opportune moment to, to do it, or maybe they were power-hungry, I don't know. But uh, don't forget Ratzinger said in the 1990s, I don't know what the papacy will be like in 20 years. So he knew that that there would be an evolution of the papacy into something different in a relatively short time. And he was saying this to Protestants. Obviously, the papacy is the biggest obstacle to ecumenism, as, as Paul VI said. So the papacy has to go. So, so we should not be surprised to see this coming up. It, it was just one of the acts of the opera that, that was waiting in the wings and has now come out to sing. That's, that's all it is. Again, right from the beginning, this is something that uh, Bergoglio was very clear on. Uh, in one of the first interviews, he talked about this idea of synodality. And the uh, word almost sounds like an invention, and I suppose it kind of is in, in English. But he made it very clear what he meant, that this was going to be one of his his themes. And uh, this is exactly what's being... Uh, carried out now, that uh, he is he's, uh, uh, going to uh, realize that uh, bit by bit by uh, introducing these synods and um, thus destroying the, the traditional concept of the papacy. There was another quote within this article that it's, uh, um, Enzo Bianchi uh, said that uh, he thinks, quote, the Pope wants to achieve unity by also reforming the papacy, a papacy no longer feared in the words of ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew, with whom Francis has a bond of friendship, unquote. So here we have more, you know, more selling out into the Orthodox. Why not? I mean, they've mm -hmm. sold out the whole Catholic faith. Why not sell out the papacy, too? 
ecumenism sells out the Catholic faith, and ecumenism, again, goes back to the 1960s. This is just a, an outgrowth of this same horrid council. And so why not sell out to them? What is left? Why, why should people be shocked that these things are being given up to the Orthodox? The Orthodox want a pope in Rome who's the patriarch of the West and who will leave them alone to do whatever they think and, and say, uh, and whatever heresies they want to proffer, whatever evil disciplines they might have, and they will pay him a certain honor as the, the quote-unquote head of the church, uh, a Queen Elizabeth role of the head of uh, the Commonwealth. Uh, he will fulfill all of those roles uh, very, very nicely, uh, just as uh, an inspector, uh, someone who might intervene if there's some terrible crisis in a diocese or something like that, a type of, uh, just like the queen in, in a political crisis can dissolve parliament, she can solve the crisis. Uh, that, that's the role that is being prepared uh, and was foreseen from the 18th century by all of the enemies of the church. So this is really nothing new, uh, and it's nothing surprising. It's surprising it's, to people it who are... It's surprising the people who are still trying to hold on to the Vatican II sect as if it is Catholicism. And they have to get it through their heads that this is not Catholicism. This is a new and false religion that is occupying our Catholic buildings. That's all it is. And, and don't look for anything else in it except that. That is in, in, uh, indeed the explanation that the people... Uh, after the, the Paul VI, the JP2, the Ratzinger years, had been uh, lulled into this idea just on the, on the basis of uh, uh, impressions that the um, uh, papacy really hasn't, hasn't changed, uh, according to Vatican II. That's because they don't understand the documents, and now with Bergoglio, they're starting to see the reality of it. Mm-hmm. You know, Your Excellency and Father, I mean, I, I can't think of, I can't think of how many hours both of you have spent on the network here talking about just this fact that this is not Catholicism, and hopefully that's the take home from all these shows that people will start to get it into their skulls that this is a false religion. And uh, story number two here out of the gate is a, a September the fifth story that came out in a Vatican Insider article by uh, Mauro Pianta that Francis says that it's time to realize there's a new gospel. There again, the new religion has a new gospel, which is probably an honest assessment of things because he is preaching a new and false gospel. But Francis says that it's time to, quote, let go of decadent structures, unquote, which, um, which Father, might be a fair time to plug our last work of Human Hands show where we talked about the destruction of those hideous, opulent, and decadent Catholic structures. But um, in this article... Pianta quotes Francis, who says, quote, Christians must not be slave to little laws, unquote. Well, uh, you know, like adultery, mean, you know, the thing about adultery, like thou shalt not commit adultery. Right. I'm, I'm wondering if he's, I, I wonder if he's including his ten suggestions in the little laws not to be obeyed and not to be worried about, you know. <laughs> right. the, he himself uh, is making a law there, right away. So it's, it's, he's contradicting himself. In, in preaching a new gospel, you're preaching something that everyone should adhere to. And, and in condemning the old, you are, you are making a law, a law of belief. So he's, he's, he's contradicting himself. 
Not surprising. Um, the uh, com- the comment, though, about letting go of decadent structures, I think that that's very, very powerful and is an indicator uh, that he is really going in for something radical, uh, that he's setting people up for something radical in uh, terms of the uh, synod or um, a shift of power perhaps from the Vatican to the Episcopal conferences uh, because of his consideration that, well, the uh, papacy and the curia got turned in the Middle Ages into a some sort of a court, uh, like a royal court, and this is decadent, and this um, overturns the uh, gospel of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so this has to be swept away. So I think this is the, it's it's very strong language, and uh, saying that you know where we uh, don't have to be um, don't have to be afraid to do this to to sweep this aside. And uh, you know to make a new beginning if necessary. He has been successful in putting all of the Novus Ordites in the mood for something big over the past mm-hmm. year and a half. He has been constantly bombarding uh, with these comments, these talks, and things that he says that are are quite um, uh, exciting, so to speak. Uh, that he, uh, he he has prepared everybody for a new mood. Everyone's in the mood for a big change. Uh, and I think that he's going to uh, capitalize on that. He doesn't have too many years. You know, he is an older man. And, and he, I think he is seizing the moment to push through these changes of Vatican II, and he's absolutely right that they are changes of Vatican II, push them through while he's alive and completely... Uh, finish the alteration of the church that was demanded by Vatican II. Yes. The, um, he is not only pushing that as a positive program, but you can see in this um, uh, comment that he made in, in the sermon at the same time that he, he was talking about pushing aside de- decadent structures, where uh, he uh, went in effect on the attack against people who would be objectors by saying that by comparing them to the Pharisees that uh, they're worried about all of these these little laws and about all of these little procedures uh, whereas we have a, we have a big idea here and uh, these people should not be listened to in our own age just as in the age of our Lord the Pharisees should not have been listened to so that's the consistent way that he, he is propagandizing against the opposition. Uh, you, you can see that um, uh, come out in his treatment of, of someone like Cardinal Burke, whom we'll uh, talk about a little bit later, but uh, Burke uh, in his uh, discourses uh, talks about ecclesiastical law, the procedures of ecclesiastical law, how important these are, what they protect, and uh, Bergoglio in advance is saying that that stuff is not important. That's that's part of the decadence and, and Phariseeism. And that is the message the, the, uh, that he's conveying uh, to the uh, membership of the Novus Ordo Church through the media. And the media is eating it up, and most people are eating it up. Mm-hmm. 
That's a term he throws out quite often is Pharisee. He really enjoys using that term Pharisee to describe anybody who disagrees with his, you know, his revolution who might worry about that little thing, you know, called church law and, you know, procedure and things like that. Uh, you know, we've heard that a lot over all of our shows. I mean, I think that's probably been a term that's been used in every Francis watch so far is Pharisee. Uh, so I, I would expect more of that. Um, well, the, that back in the 1960s, they called it legalism. Mm-hmm. When I was in the yes. seminary and you were conservative, you were a legalist. It's the same old nonsense garbage that we have been hearing for the past 50 years. But he, he really is, he's a scene from the past. He's like watching an old movie for me. Uh, you know, this, uh, like his use of the word encounter and all of these other things, which we'll talk about later. Uh, he, he's a, he's an old movie for me. It goes right back, to, and I'm sure for Father Chicago too. Uh, they used to call us legalists. And rigid. He uses mm-hmm. that occasionally. So this is nothing new. This is Vatican II all over again. This is you know, deja vu all over, you know, one more time. And uh, it's just to be expected he is just finishing off the work of Vatican II. The next article on deck here is one from the Vatican Insider on the 14th of September by uh, Andrea Tornielli, where Bergoglio says that bishops should not feel a need to defend their own borders, quote-unquote, defend their own borders, and that they should not, quote, delude themselves into thinking they can change people, unquote. Now, Your Excellency, is this not an instruction to stop preaching the gospel? I mean, in some way, the gospel is just totally uh, totally impossible to to convert, you know, the mind of man and the heart of man to the faith? Well, first of all, there's no faith for him. Uh, religion for him is an encounter with Jesus. It's a totally Protestant notion of religion, that you have some sort of internal experience whereby you meet God who's in you. And so that's religion for him. There's no dogma. There is no faith as we understand it in the classical sense. So uh, the the uh, prelate is supposed to just uh, produce... Uh, statements that are generically Christian, and of course he should be a, a, somebody that uh, feeds the poor and is down with the poor people all the time. Don't forget Bergoglio is a Marxist, and his main concern is that uh, the, the poor people are aided, and the function of the church is to help the poor. He's a Marxist. And he, you know, he has made statements that uh, the, the helping of the poor should not be impeded by our uh, squabbles about doctrine. He, he doesn't believe anything. I mean, if, you, if anybody's entertaining in his head that this man has the Catholic faith or believes in Catholic doctrine, I would say he's crazy. This, this man doesn't believe anything. He, he, is, he would do very, very well in the, in the Salvation Army where they don't squabble about doctrine, and they help the poor. They run soup kitchens and, and various other uh, agencies and, and works. That uh, maybe, maybe that's why poor. maybe that's why he appointed the soup itch. He got a mixed up a soup kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> this this was going to the peripheries. Uh, uh, I knew we were going to get one on soup. <laughs> yes, I knew. No. That. <laughs> well, you always do. <laughs> But you know, this we have to. The the only reason why we would be shocked about these things that he is saying is if you put him in the role or uh, or the model of some pope that believes in Catholic doctrine. 
you know, he doesn't. <laughs> this man is is a is a Marxist who's running around in a white cassock and is concerned about the solidarity of humanity, and that all of the church's functions, even whatever dogmas are left or doctrines or whatever you want to call them, are in some way uh, for the promotion uh, of the general unity of humanity. Uh, you can see it very clearly. I mean, there's, there's nothing in him. Uh, the, and the the only uh, le- the only thing refreshing about Bergoglio is that he's manifesting the real face of modernism. He doesn't have the mask that John Paul II, to a certain extent, maintained. Ratzinger, to a greater extent, maintained. Uh, he doesn't have that mask. He, he is showing us what modernism is and what St. Pius X said it would be: atheism. Mm-hmm. The um, well, the idea of, of uh, his his exhortation to the bishops to enter into dialogue with great traditions, uh, there is a confirmation, uh, basically, of what uh, you said, Your Excellency, that it, it's a um, we're we're going for sort of a generic religion in the sense of of. Um, uh, a uh, religion that has the general idea of, of uh, doing good, whatever that may be, and whose uh, d- doctrinal teachings uh, are, are not really important. So on the other hand, he's saying that, well, you shouldn't defend your borders. But I mean, what's uh, a uh, what's a shepherd supposed to do if he's uh, got a flock and there are wolves? You defend the borders against the wolves. But he he is telling them don't do that. I think that was cut out of the new gospel, uh, or you know I, I don't think those uh, those pages are in there about defending wolves, defending the sheep from the wolves. I think uh, that was cut out. No, well, well there it, is no, uh, I, no dog. I know that in some Novus Ordo churches they use loose leaf lectionaries, so uh, <laughs> maybe this is one of the pages that got missed. So, <laughs> uh, like. Go ahead. Go ahead, Excellency. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to do a little show bumper here and, and let listeners know you're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network, brought to you by Novus Ordo Watch. I am your host, Justin Soder, and this evening I am joined by His Excellency, Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. Uh, and so far in this episode, we have started off with a bit of an overview of the last three months, uh, and the last 18 months, actually, of uh, Bergoglio's uh, non-pontificate and uh, talking about all the, the news headlines, which we're trying to catch up on here. We'd like to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to us at mail at truerestoration.org. That's mail at truerestoration.org. Your Excellency, did you want to finish a point there? Uh, I can't remember after you've said that, so why don't we go on to the (laughs) next? (laughs) Okay, all right. Well, uh, talk about... No, no, I do remember that he did say that the you you don't proselytize you you don't try to change people's minds but you attract people to the church uh by or or you you change people by attracting them so the idea is just be nice and and uh don't make waves and just say general christian things and that's the way people will come to the catholic church as we've seen, you know, the the numbers of the Catholic Church are, you know, very very high right now, and every everything's coming up roses since Vatican II. So we know that that is the way to do it. I'm being sarcastic. 
the the diocese of Antwerp I saw the other day has not or and that's a big diocese. It's a big city in Europe. Has not ordained a priest for the past three years. Wow. Yeah. That's the rosy springtime mm. and the attraction that's going on, you know, it's by being attractive. <laughs> well who needs more priest wheeler dealers, Your Excellency, you know? You know, your parent yeah. reciting Cree Christians and we don't need <laughs> any more of those out of there, so no, but um, truth, by its very nature, is something exclusive of falsehood. And if the church uh, adheres to supernatural truth, it must necessarily exclude falsehood. And the church has always acted in that way. It has always protected the truth uh, from falsehood by condemning false doctrines and by excommunicating heretics. Uh, that's how it has protected the truth thus far for 2,000 years. So the abandonment of the anathema and the abandonment of proselytism uh, is is merely a, a backdoor way of saying that there is no Catholic truth, just as there is no Catholic God, as he says. Well, there's no Catholic truth either. Mm-hmm. Well, for our listeners who are in Chicago, we're going to move back to Supachir for just a second and uh, listen to a, a a few words from the newly appointed Archbishop Novus Ordo Archbishop of Chicago who has a new idea of the sacred, uh, which comes out of a, a um, you know, many writings from Jorge Bergoglio. And in this sermon, uh, uh, Supic says, All throughout the history of salvation, those called out of love by God are called to become part of the family of God's holy people. This is what it means to be a people sacred to the Lord. Pope Francis is quite effective in exploiting this point in the joy of the gospel as he literally redefines the word sacred, which becomes clear if we look at the dozen or so times he uses the word. Instead of sacred being that which is set apart from the ordinary and mundane, it, it has to do with human solidarity of bringing others together in a communitarian experience of journeying towards God. Wow. Yeah, that's I communism. Mean, that's, uh human solidarity, communism, socialism, with a, a somewhat Christian chocolate sauce on it. That's all it is. Where, where the, the unity of humanity becomes the sacred thing. That, that is the, the great object of the Church, is to unify humanity, not on the, on the basis of dogma, not the mystical body of Christ, but to unify it on the very basis of dissolving dogmas. This sounds like a preparation for the Antichrist. The, the solidarity of humanity uh, and religions getting on board to to applaud this solidarity and to urge the solidarity of humanity. This really is getting getting into Antichrist stuff. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say on this point is uh, Supic's um, analysis of Francis and the, the 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 words of Francis. What what we have here is a typical modernist trick, where he is uh, turning the term sacred around to mean something that it never was understood to mean. So that that uh, in this system it seems that uh, sacred becomes profane, because it it, it uh, uh, becomes the everyday, and that is a typical uh, modernist trick to take a term and to flip it. Um, either to undermine some um, the, the sense of some Catholic dogma, or uh, to manipulate the word in uh, such a way to uh, fool people, and let's say to, to push the dogma to a new level of development. So that's that's what I think is is going on here. Uh, he is pushing a humanity religion, 
And this has been the object of all of the enemies of the Church for 200 years or more, to transform the Catholic Church into a dogmaless humanity religion. This is what is going on before our eyes. I mean, you know, really it sounds like... You know, <laughs> I read that yesterday when I was preparing for the show, and I thought, you know, th- th- that sounds like a Barack Obama campaign speech, you know? <laughs> This this, Hello, Mark. this communitarian experience. I mean, that sounds like a Barack Obama campaign speech. So, let's move on to the next story. July the twelfth, uh, Robert De Mattei writes an article called "The Reconciler," which appeared in the Italian publication uh, Il Folio. In this article, uh, De Mattei comes out with a pretty scathing condemnation of Novus Ordo Cardinal Walter Casper, you know, Father Ciccata's favorite person, who we've spoken about many times on the show with uh, you know, essentially condemning his agenda for the future of marriage. And he writes, um, the fundamental theme in Instrumentum Laboris, as in Cardinal Casper's speech at the Extraordinary Consistory on February 2014, is one of abysmal distance between the doctrine of the church on marriage and the family and contemporary Catholic praxis. In this document, the yardstick of measuring doctrine becomes sociology. Praxis turns doctrine upside down and the church is capsized. Now that's I mean that's pretty that's pretty stiff language and De Matei also places a quote in this article about Vatican II being a de-dogmatization of Catholicism which has quote altered the very deposit of doctrine itself. Well, Your Excellency, I know someone who's been saying that for quite a while now. Yes, all of those things are absolutely true. I, I'd say to Dr. De Matei that draw some conclusions from what you're saying. Those words are so strong that they lead precisely to the conclusions that we are taking, that this is a substantial alteration of Roman Catholicism. And if it is a substantial alteration of Roman Catholicism, it is impossible that the people who are, are promoting this alteration have the authority of Christ to teach, rule, and sanctify the Church. That is not in any way a, a, an illegitimate conclusion from what that man just said. It is the natural, logical conclusion. He is saying this is an essential departure. How, how much more essential can you get than to capsize the Catholic Church? Did you ever see a capsized boat? <laughs> I mean, that's, those, are, those are fighting words, as they say. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I think he, if he doesn't draw the conclusion, and maybe he needs some time to do so, but if he does not draw the conclusion... I think he is condemning himself, and I think he is, if he remains in his position of saying these people are truly representatives of Christ for the Church, I think he is in a way more guilty than Bergoglio is, because that means that he has seen what they are, and he's doing nothing about it. The um, uh, other interesting point that um, is made in the Dimete article uh, he uh, quotes a um, writer, uh, Monsignor uh, Radeli, who says that the, there's the total absence of the word dogma, um, a concept by which now, which by now has been banned in the church for uh, 50 years. And uh, he also points out, um, uh, um, Di Matei quotes Radeli on this, that uh, in an encyclical basis on the virtue of faith, one is struck by the total absence of a neat and precise definition of the virtue of faith. But I think that that's, uh, that is um, 
uh, done intentionally, that there is no definition given because uh, it would really expose the game. Hmm. Uh, but again, I think that these people who are looking for the word dogma are, are just uh, looking in an empty cave. You know, it, they, they don't realize what has happened to the church, or they, or they won't face it. Uh, the absence of the word dogma should tell you something, that this is a dogmaless religion. If it's a dogmaless religion, it's not Catholicism. Well, the next story we move on to, and this is this is uh, when we I think we talked about this last season, Your Excellency and Father. I, I think it was on one of the the last ones we did last season. We return back to Francis's explicit denial of the miracle of our Lord feeding the five thousand. Um, the Vatican News Network, uh, I think this was relayed on Vatican Radio. Actually, it was on the fifth of August during Francis's Angelus address, and was returned again to the denial of the miracle of our Lord feeding the 5,000. And he says, um, he's really doubling down here, and he's making his point quite clear that he objectively denies any miracle occurring. He says, uh, two different reactions which, which reflect two opposing logics. The disciples are thinking according to the world for which everyone has to take care of himself. Jesus thinks according to the logic of God, which is that of sharing. And so, pe- excuse me. And so the people were fed and fed abundantly. The Holy Father then went on to say, quote, "This is no magic trick, but a sign, a sign that invites us to have faith in God, the provident Father, who will not force us to go without our daily bread if we know how to share it as brothers and sisters." Well, what is that, Your Excellency? I mean, it's, 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 it's difficult to read this and hear the denial of one of the most amazing miracles in all the Gospels. Yes, he has vilified a sacred miracle of Christ that is very, very clear in the Gospel uh, uh, by calling it a magic trick, effectively, that, that, uh, that our Lord's divine power to multiply the loaves and the fishes, which, he, uh, which gives him a power over nature as the creator and therefore manifests his divinity, that that is a magic trick. Uh, that that and certainly was not a magic trick. I mean, one might ask, well, how did they get all of that food to eat? Did they go out to Sam's Club or something like that? <laughs> Where did it come from? <laughs> you know, there's some questions here. Uh, if if our Lord did not produce those things, and if He did produce those things, then there was obviously a manifestation of divine power. It's the only two ways you can do it. What is He talking about? He's a Marxist. He's saying that the the important thing is to distribute the wealth to the poor, and that uh, this is what uh, this was simply a way in the gospel of saying that the, the the message of the gospel is to give people something to eat. And by the way, don't forget they didn't get something to eat until they had been three days without eating, because he was preaching the gospel to them all that time. So obviously our Lord's priority was to first to preach to them the gospel and to inform them and to indoctrinate them and give them dogmas, then to feed them. Uh, and uh, so the, the, but he, his mind is on Marxist ideology, humanity, breaking down dogmas, breaking down anything that keeps humanity apart. This is this is all Marxist doctrine. Uh, 
and we we must see it in that light. Father, do you have anything to add? Um, yes, in fact, um, that's an excellent point. Uh, that in fact never occurred to me that the uh, uh, the teaching came first before uh, taking care of feeding people and the bodily needs. And and uh, that is, your excellency, is is a very striking point. Uh, along the uh, lines of a, a correct Marxist exegesis of this, uh, the way that uh, the modernists uh, explain this to uh, to us and try to uh, poo-poo this, the, 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 uh, super, this is a supernatural event, was that uh, each of uh, the people in the crowd had hidden away somehow in their clothes uh, food, and that the preaching of our Lord... Um, induce them to share it with other people. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think that's recorded and, and, in one of the footnotes, right, or something like that. Uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, I, I think so. And yeah. uh, These are the people that say St. <laughs> Matthew's Gospel was written in, the, like, 150 A.D. Uh, by right. the yeah. Christian community, and they, they embroidered the Gospel. And they they have the the bold faced nerve to say something so stupid as that that the people had food in in their you know but then why was there a problem if they had the food why was the well, yeah. the whole event recorded in the gospel right <laughs> if everyone well, I guess brought, it wouldn't, you know, a it wouldn't make basket. the Marxist point about private property yeah so <laughs> yeah. yeah so Catholic religion is is a religion to, of sharing the whole thing is sharing. It's just, Oh, it's just mind-numbing. It really is. It's just to think about this, that somehow people are still viewing this man as a Catholic. Um, let's move on to the next story here. A Catholic News Agency article coming out of uh, September the 7th. Bergoglio letting his inner charismatic shine through, uh, where he says Christian identity comes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not theology degrees. And he says, quote, the authority of Jesus and the authority of the Christian comes from this ability to understand the things of the Spirit, to speak the language of the Spirit, and comes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Not surprising. I don't think that's a surprising statement from him to you, Your Excellency. It's Protestant. It's Protestant yeah. Pentecostalism. That's all it is. I mean that, that the Quakers and, and the Shakers and all of the other Pentecostalist movements. I mean, who has the spirit? That's the next question. Why can't I say I have the spirit, even though I, I'm attached all, to all of these medieval doctrines? Why? Why is the spirit not speaking to me? Why is it speaking to somebody else? Or, or who is anointed? Who is not anointed? That is the very problem of Protestantism, that it admits anything at all, even the most bizarre aberrations under the, the, the tent of being anointed by the Spirit. That's just a lot of Protestant nonsense. That's all it is. Mm. It's and another way to break down the dogmas. The sauce it's served up with uh, is, um, again, this um, uh, theme that he's taken up a number of times in his, his homilies at uh, the uh, the daily Novus Ordos at, at Santa Marta, at, at the residence where he lives, uh, the idea that, well, theology is not all that important, and that um, uh, clear theological teaching is, is not that important. Systems are not that important. Uh, rather, what is important is this um, interior spirit, this interior conviction uh, that you have. And... Um, um, you know, sure enough, the Pharisees then appear. Uh, 
mm-hmm. as uh, uh, the example, but it's it's this consistent um, uh, anti-intellectual, anti-theological language that he uses, and um, uh, you substitute uh, uh, for whatever you would learn from that in a normal way. You substitute this this interior conviction of of, of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this experience of God. He he mm-hmm. has harped on that a great deal. That religion is an experience of God, and you have your faith from this interior experience of God. It's pure Protestantism, and the, it is of the Pentecostalist movement in Protestantism. That's why he's friendly with those Pentecostalists, uh, and he was also promoting the Charismatics when he was in Buenos Aires. Uh, it, religion for him is uh, and faith is not an assent to dogmas. It's it's a, an interior experience, and that's absolutely in conformity with the definition given by Saint Pius X in Pashendi. That is the what we might call the the, uh, the this one side of it that is that is religious. The the other side is that it that it is agnostic in the sense that uh, it denies all metaphysics. That means it denies any kind of theological ability to to know God through uh, theology and and to to develop a theological science. That that is one part of modernism, that all of that scholastic uh, work of St. Thomas Aquinas and and the the great philosophy of the Catholic Church is all a lot of trash, and it means nothing, because we can't know God that way. We know God by an interior experience. That is in Pascendi, and all of the predictions of St. Pius X are coming true, and, and it is before our eyes. Modernism is the synthesis of all heresies. He said it is the worst thing that ever uh, assailed the church. And the sooner that people wake up about that, the better. Well, there's a quote in this uh, in this same story, Your Excellency, to prove your point, where he essentially divorces theology from Christianity, where he says a person, excuse me, quote, a person might have five theology degrees but not have the Spirit of God. Perhaps you will be a great theologian, but you are not a Christian because you do not have the Spirit of God, unquote. So do you suspect he would call it the St. Thomas Aquinas? Well, I would say to him, who are you to judge? (laughs) St. Thomas Aquinas doesn't have the Spirit of God. He had probably a lot more than five, you know, I mean, he he transcended the very notion of a theological degree. Uh, (laughs) You know, he didn't have the Spirit of God. The great doctors of the Church did not have the Spirit of God. St. Jerome, St. Augustine, who were very much anti-heresy. I mean, they are very, very clear against the heretics. Remember what St. Jerome said about the masses offered by heretics. God holds his nose for the stench of what is rising up to him from the masses of heretics. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, these people do not have the spirit of God. Uh, St. Athanasius, who, who was uh, absolutely firm concerning the dogma uh, uh, that was defined at Nicaea. He doesn't have the Spirit of God. I mean, he's denying the entire Catholic Church. St. Robert Bellarmine, who fought so and wrote so much against the Protestants, he, uh, he, he doesn't have the Spirit of God. I mean, he, he, yeah, he's saying like really stupid things to begin with, uh, you know, dumb things, uh, but which are catchy because people think, oh yes, uh, you know, theologians. Uh, he, he, you know, they're they're no good. Uh, it's that that experience that counts. The experience of the little old lady is much more important than the work of the theologian. And uh, 
So again, dogma is torn down. It's like standing and watching a great wrecking ball tearing down a beautiful church. With every mm. time, every time he opens his mouth, the ball hits another another tower or something, and it all comes crashing down. That's what we're watching with this evil man that that is sitting around the Vatican. And, and, and again, it, all the more so because it's it's uh, because of the modern means of communication. It's publicized. It's publicized and it's uh, repeated all over the place. So uh, the people are propagandized. Uh, against the uh, correct understanding of what um, uh, the church is, what the church is supposed to uh, teach, how one is supposed to uh, learn uh, what God expects us to believe, all of these things, um, the the damage is constantly multiplied uh, because of the publicity uh, he gets. And you can he is a master of using the media. Mm-hmm. A master, is. more than John Paul II was. No one uses the media better than he does, and no one understands the psychology of the people that he's talking to better than he does. He can destroy a dogma by one comment, or even the very notion of dogma by a single comment, like the who am I to judge. He tears down all of Catholic morality by that one comment. He knew exactly what he was doing. The uh, the next story we move on to is is a Vatican Insider article again by uh, Mauro Pianta on September the fourth and, and this is now I mean we're really getting into the pale now we haven't been he, there already <laughs> well I mean it, it, we're going deeper <laughs> we're going deeper <laughs> we need a snorkel I think that's what oh uh, yeah, yeah scuba tank by this time. <laughs> Uh, it's it's uh, so in this article it is relayed about what Francis's view of the new encountering of Christ is, and and what this idea of salvation is. And Francis now says, "quote Salvation lies in this encounter between Christ and my sins. The privileged place for the encounter with Jesus is our sins. Unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable." Yeah, so that means somebody who has preserved baptismal innocence, for example, could never have an encounter with Christ. Right? Uh, right. Correct? That's, you know? that's, yeah, that's what you have to be. <laughs> and, and salvation consists. Salvation consists in dying in the state of grace. That's the first thing. And the state of grace is achieved by baptism, either of water or desire or blood, and perseverance by the grace of God in that same state of grace, uh, and and salvation is is given if you persevere until the end, as our Lord said in the Gospel. That's salvation, throwing yourself on the Lord, recognizing your sins. And he sounds so Protestant when he says that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is uh, is not salvation. That's not salvation. You're not saved just by. You know, recognizing your sins and seeing Christ as your Savior—that's not salvation. That that might be a a beginning, if it's moved by the grace of God. If it's a true repentance, uh, moved by the grace of God, it's only the beginning of uh, not even salvation. It's the beginning of sanctification, justification. But justification, which means the the passage from the state of sin to the state of sanctifying grace, must persevere until the end before salvation occurs. So, uh, you know, if you get off the bus before it, it arrives in the terminal, you, you go to hell. 
and and so it, that's of course the Catholic doctrine. I'm just giving the catechism as everyone knows it. But he is again tearing down a Catholic doctrine there of sanctifying grace, dying in the state of grace, persevering until the end, stainless, in order that you have a friendship with God when you die. Yeah, if I tell you, if, if the uh, you know, if the reconciliation room lines were thin before that statement, they're going to be a desert now. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, what, you know, and then and then there was more to this article too. There was there was more prattle about decadent churches being places of people who have never encountered Christ. Now, you know, this to me, this to me is is a tad bit confusing because the Novus Ordo temples, at least around here, have ceased being decadent for years, and there's been no. There's been no shortage of sin in these cesspools. I mean, so yeah, I mean, with as much sin in non-decadent churches, you know, as we have, you would think people would be encountering Christ all over the place. I mean, yeah, it, it's, and, you know, the Novus Order was balloons and and all sorts right. of other things that make you encounter Christ. You, everyone knows that that's where you find Christ is in a balloon, or or in some sort of other nonsensical dancing on the altar or some stupid thing that they put up. Uh, or some stupid song that they sing. That's, I mean, where, what kind of world again is this man living in? You, you would think that he was. What is he talking about? He he is on the top of a pile of people who are having these quote unquote encounters with Christ in the in the Sunday liturgy, uh, in a totally modernistic and Protestant sense. What is he complaining about? Uh, the only thing we can say is he's complaining about the the tiny percentage of people who are Novus Ordo conservatives who would like to see a traditional Latin Mass. Mm-hmm. That's, those are the decadent ones. They're decadent. I mean, he has been calling those people names since the day he he quote unquote took office. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but the rest of the uh, the people who are ever left in the pews in the Novus Ordo. Uh, you know, are, are very much turned on to an encounter, I think. There's another contradictory statement uh, in this article where Bergoglio says, um, quote, the driving force of the Christian life and the power of the Word of God is at that moment where I, a sinner, encounter Jesus Christ, and this encounter turns my life on its head. It changes your life. It gives you the strength to proclaim salvation to others, unquote. Now, the first thing that jumped out at me was I said, well, strength to proclaim salvation to others. What happened to proselytism being solemn nonsense here? Yes, 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 what about it? Uh, yes, that's uh, proclaim salvation. Well, I think you're supposed to attract people. Uh, mm, you know, you're not that's supposed it. to really try to convert them or anything. Uh, just attract people. Uh, now, that's uh, thoroughly Protestant. And uh, Excuse me, but how do you encounter Jesus Christ? Right. Uh, that is, uh, that is that Jesus Christ at the communion rail and, and known by to a valid it. blessed sacrament. That's how you, and you need to have the faith and baptism, and you must believe everything the Church teaches in order to receive Holy Communion. That's how you encounter Jesus Christ. What is this, this thing that he's talking about? You know, who, who has done this? I mean, St. Paul encountered Jesus Christ when he was thrown off his horse. All right. But who who has these experiences? I mean, he's talking nonsense. And people with, with ordinary common sense and brains understand that that's nonsense. That's just a lot of garbage to say he was countering Jesus Christ. Our Lord is in heaven. We don't bump into him on the street. We don't encounter him. 
you know, we 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 come to him and and uh, through the holy faith and belief in documents and and through the sacrament of, of the blessed sacrament of the altar, which is the traditional faith of the Catholic Church. Father, did you say that? Oh, it's it, the. Um, uh, I wonder exactly what the word is in in Italian that he uses or in Spanish, and what it's. it's Incontrare, probably. Yeah, and with the um, I associate this with a, it's it's a buzzword, uh, and no one is really entirely sure of uh, what it's supposed to mean. But the idea is that it's somehow intensely personal. That uh, you know you you have uh, an encounter with someone, and uh, it's a. a uh, uh, some sort of an uh, emotionally striking meeting, but uh, that's all I can get out of it. I know that there was a science fiction film called Close Encounters of the Third Kind, <laughs> which involved a, a spaceship coming down, uh, certain musical notes were played. But, uh, and I think people were taken up in it by a beam or something like that, which which would be fun to say in say, see in St. Peter's Square with, with, with this guy, but uh, the uh, it's 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 one of those uh, uh, buzzwords that um, uh, he keeps on repeating as if it has uh, some sort of a, a deeper, profound meaning. Mm-hmm. And should that be telling was a to convert. That was used in the 1960s. Father will recall that. Oh the yeah. Encounter, there was a, a retreat that you were supposed to go on. The encounter. I never went on it. I thought it was stupid. The whole thing. <laughs> But the the uh, all of these uh, young men would go on the encounter, you see, and that would they would come back like liberal zombies from this thing, mm. and you would uh, typically get up and tell all the sins to uh, that you ever did to all of the other people on the encounter, and then they would write their sins on toilet paper and flush all their sins down the toilet. That's what they used to do at these encounters. <laughs> we had the I same re- thing in Milwaukee. It was called a, a, a search uh, group. And, and it wasn't a success unless you started crying while you were telling all your sins to everybody. No, just imagine you know, you're you know, saying everything to all of these people, and then you start crying, and you have this, this catharsis, so to speak, and this conversion by the encounter. And, uh, yeah, that that's... Uh, that that goes fifty years. I mean, I haven't heard that word in so long. Uh, Did the encounter uh, take place next to the toilet, Your Excellency? <laughs> <laughs> or was that, fact, I or was that out like? I think they went into the toilet. Now, don't forget, Luther's doctrine started in the toilet. I don't know if you know yeah. that. Uh, yes, that he he had his inspiration. He had an he had an encounter too, while he was struggling with constipation on the toilet. Uh, he had his his uh, his his uh, religious experience about Romans, how all you need is faith in order to be saved. You don't need works. And he himself said this. This is We're not making you know some sort of Catholic apologetical uh, accusation here. It's in his own works that that's where he had the, the, in, the encounter. His encounter was in the toilet. And, and so the origin of Protestantism, by Luther's own admission, is the toilet. Well, let's just... <laughs> Let's just say dot 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 there. <laughs> um, the the idea generically uh, again what, what you said uh, about these um, encounter retreats reminded me that uh, generally 
as a general term, these uh, groups, uh, or the, these these events that were billed as spiritual events, where you sat around and um, uh, shared ideas of your sins or your um, uh, uh, in most ideas on this, that, and the other thing, were in fact called encounter groups. So this yeah. is it's, it, it was a very much a '60s phenomenon. And he has uh, uh, summoned that idea uh, uh, up in his little head, and he is using that to replace faith. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or dogma. And don't forget or, and the Catholic dogma. notion yep. of faith is assent to dogma. There was another article, which we're going to skip past because it's much of the same vein. It was uh, September the 16th article, Vatican Insider, Bergoglio saying that personal encounter, not adherence to the faith, brings one closer to our Lord. But we've just spent the last five minutes talking about that. So we'll, we'll move to the next story, which is a Vatican Insider article, June the 23rd, highlighting a return to uh, Francis, who am I to judge? You know, that typical song and dance, as, as he purposefully... Uh, blurs rash judgment with objective judgment based upon the laws of God. And Bergoglio says this about judgment. Quote, And Jesus defines hypocrites as those who act as judges. Because the Pope explained, quote, A person who judges gets it wrong, becomes confused, and is defeated. A person who judges takes the wrong place, becomes confused, and is defeated. And in doing this, he isn't imitating Jesus, who always defends us before the Father. He's a defense lawyer. One who judges, rather, is an imitator of the prince of this world who always goes against people to accuse them before the Father, unquote. So, I don't know. Well, what did uh, he just you do? That first? <laughs> well, what did he just do? Right. He made all sorts of judgments there about people. Didn't he? Mm-hmm. I so, think so. The, you know, he's a hypocrite. He, he's a Pharisee. <laughs> and I'm, I'm being plenty judgmental and proud of it when I say it, because there is evidence. He is, he is mixing the, the, no, the notion of rash judgment with the notion of comparing what people do to the moral law. Everyone compares what people do to the moral law, including what they themselves do to the moral law. And that comparison produces a judgment that either I am acting within and according to the moral law, or I am not or somebody else is acting within and according to the moral law, or they are not. That, now, to say that every time you do that you make a mistake and, and you're false is, is just pure nonsense. Otherwise, he should say nothing, which would be a wonderful thing. But he is making judgments all over the place. He's constantly judging people, especially those who believe in the Catholic faith. He's judging them harshly, calling them names. Who is he to say all this? And And... The, the rash judgment is the sin, that is, to think evil or to speak evil about someone without sufficient evidence. Exactly what he's doing. Uh, and that is a sin, and it could even be a serious sin if it's serious matter and sufficient reflection. He's also disparaging he's defense lawyers here, too. You know, he's reducing our Lord to a defense lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and what about people who are sitting in benches and, and lawyers and all who are defending... Uh, principle the the all of the the laws of the nation and and are you know, acting against criminals and they hear something like that mm-hmm. i mean he's a he's an idiot i'm sorry to say it but he says these really stupid and dumb things that, that have horrible ramifications he doesn't even think about what he's saying 
I think we're up uh, against uh, another uh, 60s idea, like encounter, because one of the reproaches all the time um, to uh, when you would complain about uh, someone's uh, misbehavior uh, as, as being opposed to the moral law would be that, well, you are so judgmental. Uh, yes. And the, the idea of condemning uh, the notion of judgment in that term, or in, in, uh, with the use of the term like that, is precisely to deny that there's an objective standard. That yes. uh, we each have the right to make choices, to judge our own actions, to come to the conclusion of what's right and wrong, and uh, I can do that for myself, you can do that for yourself, but we can't say anything about anyone else because that would be judgmental. But uh, yes. uh, underneath the whole complaint is the idea that you're applying an objective uh, standard of, of, of uh, moral conduct, and that is a bad thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. What about the seven woes that Christ pronounced to the Pharisees and chief priests just before he was judged, that is, in the temple? Uh, and during Holy Week, uh, I mean, he excoriated them, called them whited sepulchers and full of dead men's bones and all filthiness. How, how does isn't that a judgment? <laughs> it's a pretty pretty nasty one. I mean, he just absolutely destroyed them with condemnation. Hmm. And and the the judgment that he made concerning the infidelity of the Jews many times and all of the parables that indicated their future judgment. Uh, you know, they're they're comparing them to the moral law and the, the 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 law of belief that they should have observed concerning the true Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are 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 uh, you know it, it doesn't make any sense what he's saying, but we already know that. But as Father says, it's just one more way of of tearing down moral doctrine. He's tearing down dogmatic doctrine, and now he's tearing down moral doctrine, the who am I to judge business. That's the, the flag. I love that tweet that came out a couple of months ago. It is the flag of a church that is in the process of demolishing itself. Mm-hmm. Yes. I remember saying that. Yes, a, well, very, a very good one. The the next article uh, sort of takes us back to this whole idea of, you know, we're saved in our sin, by our sin, and because of our sin. Uh, September the 18th article by Domenico Asago, Jr. in the Vatican Insider uh, conveys Bergoglio's seemingly tireless message that being sinners saves us. Let's, you know, stop and think about that for a moment. That's just incredible. But anyway, this is what he says. Bergoglio says this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Bergoglio says this, quote, Salvation only enters our hearts when we open them to the truth of our sins. The privileged place to encounter with Jesus Christ is in our sins. This is why the ability to acknowledge our sins, to acknowledge our misery, to acknowledge what we are and what we are capable of doing or have done, is the very door that opens us to the Lord's caress, his forgiveness, his word, go in peace, your faith has saved you. Now, First of all, Your Excellency, nothing about conversion. I mean, he's leaving. You know, he's conveniently leaving out the admonition to go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I, I think we, at a certain point, uh, we determined that uh, the the new gospel must be go and sin some more. 
uh, to right. the woman caught in adultery because that's what coming that is what is coming down the Novus Ordo Pike very soon at the Oktoberfest. But uh, yeah, there's no what he's saying is thoroughly Protestant. Uh, the uh, the Protestant notion uh, of the sinner is that it is impossible to obey the commandments of God. That was Martin Luther. That God does not expect us to obey the commandments because it's impossible. And the mere uh, recognition that we are sinners is pleasing to God, and we we present ourselves to God as a sinner, and we recognize our sin, and that gives us salvation. And so God does not expect us to uh, observe the commandments. He knows that we're going to sin, but he accepts us as sinners. That's thoroughgoing Protestantism. Uh, So that uh, as long as you have that that faith in the Savior and and you are covered by His uh, by His innocence uh, that that covers you up and covers up your sin, so that God looks only at at the at the Savior's blood instead of your sins. Uh, that's uh, that, that's that's Protestantism. So He's just giving us Protestantism, uh, and of course that you have to link that to the whole business with the adultery. Uh, all you have to do is, is throw yourself on the Savior, uh, and and you can receive communion. See, your your sins are forgiven you because you have faith. See, you, you have thrown yourself on, on the Savior as a sinner, and so you come up to the communion realm. Mm-hmm. I think that's all preparatory for that. It's a it's a, a preparatory theology uh, for that, in my opinion. If there's a communion rail to begin with, most, you know, most yes. likely some, <laughs> most likely some yes. scantily clad woman handing out you know, wafers. So yes, yes, the communion wafers. There's also another part of this, this, this story here, which actually the, the very next sentence after those two quotes I read, Bergoglio says, "Now this may sound like heresy." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, in fact. <laughs> uh, I didn't know he knew the meaning of that word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Father, do you have anything to add, or can we move on to the next story? No, I think we can move on to okay. the next story. All right, well, this, this is the next story here. This is the Novus Ordo Watch story, more on conversion not being necessary. Uh, July 14th, um, Novus Ordo Watch publishes a story with linked citations from the World Evangelical Alliance about a one Brian Stiller, an evangelical minister who heads the organization, uh, who shared lunch with Francis on July 9th at the Vatican. Now, here's the meat of the exchange between uh, Mr. Brian Stiller and Francis. Quote, It's fair to ask what kind of Catholic church we as evangelicals want to see. At lunch, I asked Pope Francis what his heart was for, ev- for evangelism. He smiled, knowing what, I was, knowing what was behind my question. His comment was this, quote, I'm not interested in converting evangelicals to Catholicism. I want people to find Jesus in their own community. There are so many doctrines we will never agree on. Let's not spend our time on those. Rather, let's be about showing the love of Jesus, unquote. Uh, okay, I've, I've thrown a softball here, Your Excellency Father. I'm just going to let you just swing away at it. <laughs> well, it's more of the same. There's no dogmas. Uh, the unity of Christians is more important than dogmas. Let, let's just forget about our doctrinal differences because they're not important. And let's let's be united in having this encounter with Christ 
it's it's another wrecking ball uh, on on the the edifice of Catholic doctrine. But you know, this has really been going on ever since the decree on ecumenism. But again, go back to Vatican II. He is, there is nothing, as I said in an article or blog recently, uh, there is nothing in Bergoglio that cannot be first found in Vatican II. He is just applying it. Uh, and and uh, so dogma is gone. If, if anyone's looking for it, he's going to be very disappointed. The other thing that um, I would add is this is, uh, again, is consistent with his uh, uh, previous statement, with Bergoglio's previous statements. Uh, we recall his um, a statement to uh, one of those prosperity gospel groups, uh, the, the recording that he did for that uh, Bishop Tony Palmer, who is a, um, some sort of an Anglican uh, evangelical charismatic, something like that. And his... Um, in about 650 words, he just destroyed the um, notion of uh, the Catholic Church and of the need for the Catholic Church, and used similar language to this. The conclusion of, uh, to which was, again, that these different doctrines don't matter as long as we have the love of Jesus that uh, this is all small stuff that we really should not uh, be worried about. So people who say that somehow his, his ideas are being distorted, um, uh, they're kidding themselves. I mean, this is, this is a theme. You've got um, this one writer, uh, Brian Stiller, talking about... Uh, um, quoting a, a, a statement like this of Francis. And then there was another um, another Protestant uh, blogger who was uh, present at the same meeting who gave us a, a, a similar account. I'm not expecting any of you to join the Catholic Church. Uh, so uh, please understand that's not what this is about. What we're talking about is a unified position to go before the world and say we're proclaiming Jesus Christ is our only hope of salvation. All of that is consistent with his his dogma-less, uh, his dogma-free uh, notion of uh, what the Catholic faith should be. It should be pointed out as well that his dogma-free notion is itself a dogma. Mm-hmm that you, the human mind cannot escape dogma. By, by destroying Catholic dogma, he makes a dogma. It is a dogma that we should not adhere to dogma. Mm-hmm. And if you don't ad, uh, adhere to my dogma, in other words, if you don't abandon Catholic doctrines, then you're anathema. You get your head chopped off. You get removed from the curia. If you are insisting on, on uh, if you are contradicting the dogma that I have made, that there is no dogma. That is the perpetual trap of the skeptic. Uh, he pounds on his fist and he says, there is no such thing as absolute truth. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. so he screams it. And that's what that's what Bergoglio is doing. There is no such thing as dogma. There's no such thing as dogma. And you're a Pharisee, you're this, you're rigid, you're everything else. If you insist on dogma, pound, pound, pound. And, and he enforces that. He is the biggest dogmatist. He just has a new dogma, a dogma of the devil, who, who wants to destroy the Catholic Church. 
Well, the next article we move on to, um, and we're finally reaching the end of our our uh, you know, various news stories stack here and getting ready to move into the Senate. But the last story here is uh, comes from July 13th. It was on uh, um, Rarate Chaley, and it was finding a solution to the celibacy problem. And uh, this this story was about Bergoglio's determination to find a uh, quote-unquote solution to the quote-unquote problem of priestly celibacy. And in yet another interview with uh, Eugenio Scalfari, for those of you who should be familiar with that name by now but who aren't, this is the founder of uh, La Repubblica and also uh, the atheist to whom Bergoglio is told should follow his conscience and he will go to heaven. He had this to say on his latest exchange with Francis over the pedophilia scandal and its link to the problem of priestly celibacy. The pontiff recalled that celibacy for priests was not instituted until the 10th century, or 900 years after our Lord's death, something which the church usually prefers to overlook. He also recalled that clerics could marry in some Eastern Catholic churches. There were solutions to the problem of celibacy, he said, and I will find them. Now, this follows up with comments Bergoglio made in May when he told a press pool on the flight back from his trip to, uh, to Israel that celibacy is not a dogma, and since it is not a dogma, the door is wide open. Interestingly enough, this also drew criticism from German Novus Ordo Cardinal Walter Brandmuller, where he writes to Scalfari and says Bergoglio is dead wrong and historically inaccurate. So it seems like we have people clean-up crews now out there, Your Excellency. <laughs> yes, yes, well, it's, uh, well, uh, I mean, to say that, go ahead. Well, uh, first of all, the statement is an indication of Bergoglio's stupidity, uh, because, uh, in fact, uh, especially in the recent years, it's been uh, uh, documented uh, very uh, well and very convincingly and very completely, the clerical continence was something that um, came from the apostolic age. Uh, there were a number of studies that were done on this. Uh, he was too clueless, too, uh, too intellectually uh, incurious to look into anything like this, so he uh, related the old line about the 10th century, 900 years after our Lord's death. So what uh, Cardinal Brandmiller did is uh, he's some sort of a um, he was some sort of a historian, and he wrote a lengthy article saying that uh, in fact what Bergoglio said was incorrect uh, about this, and and he uh, gave all of the more recent evidence. The other interesting thing uh, about this, I think, if we step back from the phenomenon, is that <clears throat> we have. Uh, Bergoglio encouraging an atmosphere where he's inviting criticism of what people perceive as the papacy. Uh, that um, the uh, and it's considered perfectly acceptable in this uh, uh, environment for a cardinal who is, uh, as it were, the one of his advisors, the member of the papal senate, as it were, to publicly criticize him. And in fact, he he invites that, and he has um, uh, he has uh, thanked people who have done that. So you have this this uh, idea that um, or, or the, this this method of using controversy uh, and uh, using public controversy to uh, undermine respect for the papacy and for the papal office. So there, there are two things going on here. At one level, it's his his stupidity. On the other level, he is 
is change the atmosphere where uh, Catholics, uh, ecclesiastics feel completely free to criticize whatever the supposed vicar of Jesus Christ on earth says, and that's really dangerous. I would say, though, that it might be healthy in this sense that this man is not the vicar of Jesus Christ, and it might wake some people up to the idea that he doesn't know what he's talking about, and he's saying things that are offensive to Catholic faith, and uh, if that becomes less of a taboo, uh, which it is now for conservatives, uh, it, it, I think it might be a healthy thing, indirectly. Well, you may I, be I right. understand what you're yeah. saying. Uh, you know, in itself, it's an awful thing. But, in fact, the man is not Catholic. He, he's not a true Roman pontiff. And the more he is criticized, I think, the better. It shows uh, that some people are, are seeing it. Well, I think that's a great way to end our the first half here at the show, uh, talking about the various news stories. And it, you know, we did miss some, unfortunately, but we, you know, for the sake of time, we we have to get into this synod. So, I'd like to remind listeners: you are listening to to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network, sponsored by Novus Ordo Watch. Um, my name is Justin Soder. I am your host. I am joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. So far in this episode, we have been covering various news articles dating back to June uh, that didn't fall under the category of uh, this, this uh, synod coming up in October. We'd like to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to us at mail at truerestoration.org. Okay, so Your Excellency Father, let's move into the Synod, S-I-N-O-D. Coming up in October, just about two weeks from now, begins on October the 5th. And uh, there's a lot to talk about here, um, and... I've broken this apart into four different sections here. That you know, really the the key the key stories or the key focuses are going to be on uh, marriage annulments, uh, birth control, remarried divorces, and communion and uh, sodomitic marriage. Okay, so uh, this starts off with a story from the Vatican Insider journalist uh, Ayakomo Scaramuzzi. Back on June 26th, he begins buttering the world up for this grand plan that the, quote, church must be merciful to the, to the divorced and the same-sex couples and teen mothers. And, now, and again, this is definitely the agenda. And the main driving document of this synod is going to be a 77-page manifesto entitled The Pastoral Challenges of the Family in the Context of Evangelization. We're going to link to this uh, in, uh, in English in the show notes section here on the episode page. So if you're inclined to, to pour yourself a stiff drink and read this nonsense, you can have at it. Uh, starting off here with remarried divorcees and communion. Now, Your Excellency and Father, I'm going to give you a chance at the very end of each one of these sections to give your predictions as to what you think is going to happen. And this is what the responses have said thus far about remarried divorcees and communion. A good number of responses speak to the very many cases, especially in Europe and America, and some countries in Africa, where persons clearly ask to receive the sacraments of penance in the Eucharist. This happens primarily when their children receive the sacraments. 
At times, they express a desire to receive communion to feel legitimized by the church and to eliminate the sense of exclusion or marginalization. In this regard, some recommend considering the practice of some Orthodox churches, which, in their opinion, opens the way for a second or third marriage of a penitential character. Others request clarification as to whether this solution is based on doctrine or is merely a matter of discipline. So what do you have to say about that, Your Excellency? Well, first of all, it's based on doctrine. It's the Council of Trent uh, that marriage is indissoluble, and uh, it's based on St. Paul. It's based on words of our Lord. The indissolubility of marriage is, is one of the most attested to doctrines of the Catholic Church, both in sacred scripture and tradition, and in pronounced doctrines, uh, dogmas of councils and so forth, uh, and the practice of the Catholic Church for all ages. Uh, the the martyrs, uh, St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More uh, and, and others, St. John the Baptist, for example. Uh, it, it, is, it is just a monument in, in the, 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 the church, uh, the indissolubility of marriage. So to say that it doesn't, it's just a disciplinary matter, it, it's just pure, again, ignorance and stupidity. Uh, but it's what we call affected ignorance. That is, it is a willful ignorance, a willful stupidity, because everyone knows it, and, and this is clear as day. Uh, the uh, uh, it, it just gets, boils down to uh, approving of sin. It's very simple. These people are living in sin, and, and they have a second wife. They're like Henry the Eighth, uh, and uh, they they want their cake and eat it too. Uh, they they want to have their sin, their their filthy life, uh, and they want to receive Holy Communion and feel good about themselves. For a third <laughs> marriage, Your Excellency. Yes, you know it, it's uh, sure. Why not? You know, but it, I would say this that this all goes back to the 1970s annulment process. We have been living with Catholic divorce for many decades now with the the annulment process where you can get an annulment for practically no reason. Uh, I think I read someplace recently that there were 60,000 annulments given in this country last year. Mm -hmm. And all the time we bump into people with annulments. They come to the traditional Mass, and we we interview them. We say, do you have any annulments? It's on our our, uh, card to register. Any annulments? We bump into them all the time. There's so many annulled and remarried people. So this assault on the sacrament of matrimony has been going on for decades and this again is just a conclusion from it why why should we bother to annul why why make them go through the embarrassment of annulment they they realize that their first marriage was valid but it was a mistake so uh, again you're comparing <clears throat> pre-vatican to catholicism you're taking out the the ruler of Pre-Vatican to Catholicism and holding it up to the Novus Ordo, and you're not—it's just an absurdity. These people don't believe in the indissolubility of marriage. They don't believe in any doctrines whatsoever. They don't believe in in moral uh, moral absolutes. So it, this is just a sort of play acting that they're going to go through, uh, making believe that this this uh, destruction of something that has, is historically Catholic and which is intimately connected to sacred scripture is actually something acceptable in God's sight. In fact, it's an abomination. It's uh, the approval of filth. That's all it is. 
So, Father, let me ask you a question. Uh, Bishop Sanborn has mm-hmm. laid out, you know, the problems with this. Now I'm going to move on to your predictions, starting with you, uh, uh, Father. What do you think is going to come out of this synod in terms of divorce and remarrieds receiving the sacraments? Well, uh, I'm not exactly sure on the uh, modality. If, if uh, There apparently are two stages to the synod, um, but the uh, drift will uh, be uh, to put some sort of a, a camouflage over the idea of, uh, in effect, approving uh, sacraments for the divorced and remarried. They'll, it's, it's, it's something that will be um, that they will have to finesse somehow. Uh, possibly, most likely, I think, through a change in the annulment process by making it, it uh, even easier uh, than it is now for you to have someone declare that your marriage is uh, uh, your first marriage was null. And this is this is the buzz that uh, very much the buzz that you get from the different uh, um, cardinals who have uh, who have commented on it, the different bishops who have commented on it, that this will be the uh, way, this will be the out, because it would be very difficult to come out and say that, well, uh, you know, marriage is dissoluble. You can't say that. Uh, but in the uh, practical order, uh, as Bergoglio would say, pastorally, you can figure out a way to get the same effect and camouflage it. That, I think, will be the the attempt they'll make. Uh, and what also needs to be said is, if you look at the, the document in front of us, the summary of responses or the account of the responses of the Synod questionnaire, uh, you can see that uh, Bergoglio had uh, this procedure or- orchestrated to uh, create pressure from below for uh, a change so that there will be an expectation of, uh, in a pra- practically speaking, setting aside the rule. Uh, there will be this, this uh, buzz in the press, there will be this uh, expectation. And um, the people responsible, of, uh, uh, the clergy at the synod, those responsible, those involved, will try to come up with a way, therefore, to do this, because the, the, the atmosphere and the pressure has been created from below. Yes, we'll see. What's your prediction? Yeah, I think Father Chicada is right uh, that they'll go the route of uh, like a private annulment. You see, if, if a parish priest, and this was something that was thrown around a number of months ago, that instead of going to the diocesan tribunal, uh, you go to a parish priest and you say, you know, our first marriage really didn't work out too well and we were young and all of this. And then he says, oh, you poor people. Uh, and uh, don't worry about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. just to come to communion and I consider your first marriage to be null. That has the advantage of being totally private. So that means they can say to people as they approach the communion rail, uh, well, Father said it was okay. And that will become perfectly legal in in the Novus Ordo religion, that, that these private annulments being given out and, well, you know, it's exactly what Bergoglio did with that lady in uh, in Argentina that call you up, uh, you know, you can go to communion, no problem, 
And and if you're a local priest who's too papist, then, you know, he must be one of those Pharisees. He didn't say that, but I'm sure he thought it. Uh, if he doesn't go along with it, then go to the other parish where the priest will give it to you. Mm-hmm. It all remains on this private basis. And that way they can they can address it under the umbrella of annulment. And, and annulment has already become Catholic divorce, so they don't really have to do much to 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 get that to to fly because who can who can uh, object to annulment and annulment is something that concerns the the laws of the church it's it it is something that uh, is perfectly legitimate in itself is that that there could be annulling factors in a marriage it's a perfectly legitimate thought and notion so they can just come and say well we're we're just streamlining that's a great word streamlining the annulment process to make it something totally private. The I want to take us back. That, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Father. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say the, the other advantage is what I mentioned that, uh, you know, on the books you could say, of course we believe in the indissolubility of marriage. You know, and, um, you know, we know that that's divine law and so on. However, we do admit these types of uh, uh, procedures. So it um, is, is face-saving. It's something that can be done uh, under the, basically under the radar, uh, and um, you can uh, make this uh, accommodation. You can uh, gut the law, the divine law, by uh, paying lip service to it, but never applying it from uh, you know uh, a quote unquote pastoral point of view. They used to uh, uh, do this in uh, with regard to um, uh, marriages in the uh, uh, 70s and in the 80s, there was this idea that, well, we call this the internal forum solution. I don't know if you remember that, Your Excellency, but uh, no, I don't. they would talk about it. In the, that, well, you would go to Father Chuck in the confessional, and you would give him your reasons as to why your first marriage was invalid, and Father Chuck would say that, well, you know, I can't issue a any sort of decree of, of annulment, but I can see that you're in, in good conscience and that in the form of confessional I can tell you that, well, you're not really committing a sin by um, continuing to live as husband and wife and, and nevertheless going to communion, so it's okay. So that is, the, uh, this I think will be uh, a variant of uh, that uh, that type of solution. Especially they're already calling um, for the, the uh, streamlining the of the annulment process. That they're talking about for effecting this. Right. Uh, the, well, I think uh, this we have to make it faster so we can put out maybe 120,000 a year instead of only 60,000. Right. Yeah. Well, this is interesting that we're both that we're here at this point because before this synod was ever announced, ever announced, not even on the radar. Uh, take our listeners back to I think episode two of this year, way back in February. Here's a clip from Bishop Sanborn and Father Chicada making this prediction months and months and months ago. They're going to go in and say, well, the few that do. I mean, uh, those are empty closets. Most of those uh, reconciliation rooms and all. I mean, nobody goes in them, and they're useful for brooms and other things. For the few people that are going to bother to go in. The priest is going to ask them, are you in good conscience about your failed marriage and your new spouse? And the person will say, yes, I'm in good conscience. Then it'll be go in peace. Uh, this 
those what one can see uh, what one can see happen there will be some sort of formulation or directive that will allow this there will be the hope that this will uh, maintain the fiction that we're still uh, adhering to the divine law, you know, uh, whom God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Uh, but uh, it will simply be maintaining a fiction because, in in practice, it will be gone. And here we are. Yes. <laughs> and here we are. So, so with that being said, let's move on to this idea in the Senate about same-sex couples, uh, a.k.a. sodomitic marriages. Uh, and the response in the questionnaire was this. Every bishop's conference voiced opposition to redefining, quote-unquote, marriage between a man and a woman through the introduction of legislation permitting a union between two people of the same sex. The Episcopal conferences amply demonstrate that they are trying to find a balance between the church's teaching on the family and a respectful, non-judgmental attitude towards people living in such unions. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know how to lead into that, Your Excellency. I'm, I'm trying to think of something witty to say, but I can't. <laughs> well, it's obviously saying that they they want to they want their cake and eat it too. They they want to be free from the uh, criticism that they are abandoning Catholic doctrine concerning the nature of marriage, but at the same time. Uh, approve of sodomitic marriages. Uh, it's very clear. It, it, it's just couched in, in nice Nova Sordo language. Uh, they somehow have to uh, to approve of sodomitic marriage in a certain way. Uh, so that, that's that's their task. They will find a way, though. There is you know, that whole thing has been again torn down, and with the the whole Nova Sordo world applauding that there should be no judgment about people. After all, you know, they feel good about this stuff. It gives them pleasure. It gives them love and joy. Who is going to uh, condemn them for these things? This is the mentality. It's a completely humanistic mentality. It has nothing to do with Revelation. It has nothing to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. It, it is simply to apply all of the principles of humanism and make it Christianity. They will do something that will, in some way, uh, legitimize those things. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you, you can see that in the next sentence. On the whole, the extreme reactions to these unions, whether compromising or uncompromising, do not seem to have facilitated the development of an effective pastoral program, which is consistent with the magisterium, by also, <laughs> and compassionate <laughs> toward the people concerned. So the the uh, idea is that what they're saying there, uh, what the responses are saying, is they want it uh, uh, both ways. They want the squared circle. They want to be able to say that they're maintaining, uh, the uh, in theory, the moral law, while in practice uh, accommodating uh, their own people who obviously want something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they will retain, uh, retain, quote unquote, all of their Novus Ordo followers, not in the pews, because they're not going to mass, um, many of them. But they will retain their applause, and they they are deceiving themselves into thinking that somehow this will fill up the pews in Europe and in North America, and it will not. Mm-hmm. Well, the last one on the. 
on the Synod menu here for Oktoberfest is uh, birth control, also known as race suicide. Boy, Some that's of our, politically uh, incorrect. Boy, <laughs> you really stepped <laughs> well, in it there. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah that, came, that came from uh, Nicholas Wadsbutter, so yeah, of course it's going to be. But anyway. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the switchboard is lighting up at the Southern Poverty Law Center. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> anyway, the... Um, the response here was this: a vast majority of responses. I I'm laughing now. I can't read. I can't read a paragraph right here. A vast majority of responses emphasize how the moral evaluation of the different methods of birth control is commonly perceived today as an intrusion in the intimate life of the couple and an encroachment on the autonomy of conscience. From the pastoral point of view, the responses, in very many cases see the need to make better known what was settled in Humanae Vitae and to propose a coherent anthropological vision in revitalized language, not only in pre-marriage preparation, but also in instructional courses on love in general. So I suppose this is pop them if you got them, right? You know, your birth control on the menu and any flavor you like, right? First of all, the church has every right to intrude into those things because it is the moral law. And a great deal of immorality takes place with regard to the Sixth and Ninth Commandment. And a great deal of people go to hell because they disobey the Sixth and the Ninth Commandments, which have to do with impurity. So the Church has every right to be there and to dictate the doctrines of Christ concerning those things. Uh, so that, that said, first of all, there is no autonomy of conscience. It doesn't have any autonomy. It doesn't exist. Conscience is there simply to apply the law. Something like a policeman it applies the law. He doesn't make the law. He applies the law, and conscience is there to apply the law. It has no autonomy. It is subject to the law, and it learns the law from the Catholic Church. So there's another error in that. The third thing is that they have learned, they've done their Humanae Vitae homework, and that is that Humanae Vitae, while hailed by all the conservative world as being this tremendous condemnation of, of birth control, actually set down all the logic of birth control. And that is, it did not make the procreation of children the primary end of marriage, but rather a, a co-equal end with uh, the mutual love. Therefore, you could pursue one just as much as you could pursue the other, and one is not subject to the other, which is the traditional teaching of the Church. That is, the mutual love, that is to say, all acts which pertain to generation of children, must be subject to the moral law of its uh, being capable of producing children. Uh, and uh, so that they have done their Humanae Vitae homework, and they will be able to squeeze out of Humanae Vitae all the logic they need to say, well, birth control uh, is okay. But mm-hmm. it's already okay from Ratzinger's approval. It's already okay. Yeah, already when you get into the, the, the business where they're talking about uh, proposing a coherent anthropological vision in revitalized language. Yeah, give me a break. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on, you know I think of I think of anthropology. I think of uh, you know uh, studying tribes along the Amazon or something. You know, <laughs> or Neanderthal bone, or stuff. That yeah, sort of or thing, putting right? bones through their noses or something. <laughs> uh, but the that's not the purpose. Uh, the purpose of the church is is you know to, to uh, let you know what the moral law is. 
so the uh, idea is that we have another red herring here. Uh, typical modernist red herring is this, uh, as if anthropology, uh, which is a pseudoscience anyway, uh, is sort of the, the, the study of the obvious, uh, could have anything to do with uh, uh, your eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to say, Your Excellency and Father, your predictions for the the birth control, or as we like to say, race suicide, that's going to be something that is going to be easily that's going to be easily blown over. They're going to approve it. They're going to say it's under natural family planning of some kind, or maybe not so natural family planning. But the the bigger bugaboo would be the sodomitic marriage end of things. Where do you see that going, Your Excellency? Uh, they will find a pastoral solution. They will say that uh, that uh, uh, we can't uh, we can't call it marriage. I think they will say that we can't call it marriage. But on the other hand, we should not discriminate against and be nasty to people who are following their consciences in in entering into these unions, which are unions of love and tenderness and affection, and all sorts of words like that that uh, these people need our understanding and our encouragement and, and they'll just leave it at that and all the damage will be done again that that you know mr and mr next door uh you know we should not uh, judge them or or in any way uh decide that what they're doing is wrong uh we should just accept them and invite them over for the 4th of July barbecue mm-hmm. I, I think it'll be something like that because they are Somewhat, they care somewhat about the facade of continuity. Uh, I think their worst nightmare is that people like ourselves might emerge as credible uh, uh, one day and that there be some sort of schism in the, what you'd call, I'm going to call it loosely, the church. In other words, that there would be a, some prelates and 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 some priests uh, saying enough is enough, this is discontinuity, we're, we're, we're doing something about it. I think that's their worst nightmare. So they have to uh, you know, keep the, the walls intact to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Well, Your Excellency, I, you sort of stole my thunder there because that was my next question I was going to ask. I'm hearing a lot of rumblings, certainly from you know, the conservative Novus Ordo types and the indult types saying they believe there could be a real schism here. Is that something that Your Excellency would see happening? If something really damning comes out of this, you know, out of the I, 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 I don't think it's beyond possibility. You know, that that like those that, those words of De Matei, those are words of quote unquote schism. It's not truly schism. It, it is to defend the Catholic faith. But those are words of breaking from that Novus Ordo hierarchy, as a hierarchy representing moral and dogmatic discontinuity, and therefore a corruption of Catholicism. Uh, it is those are words which lead to the accusation that they truly do not bear the authority of Christ to teach, rule, and sanctify the church. Uh, I think you're seeing the beginnings. You're seeing the logic of it. Whether they will follow through on the logic, I don't know. Uh, they they f- feel that they are loyal to the church by being loyal to the continuity of structures that they see in it. But those structures are made for the doctrine. They have no other purpose except to carry the doctrine. It's just like a basket of, of apples. The whole purpose of the basket is to hold the apples. And when your basket is empty, you know, your attachment to that basket it does, doesn't uh, do you any good. Um, 
the, the same is true. that they, they think that they are being loyal to the Church by remaining, despite all, despite this terrible storm of heresy, they're remaining loyal by adhering to those uh, that, that what they perceive to be Catholic structure. And uh, because that's the one thing that the Novus Ordo never changed. It, it, it oozed into the Catholic structures and just gradually has changed the religion within those structures. So at a certain point, they may decide we have to do something and, and attack, essentially. Uh, I think you're seeing the logic of it. I have never seen them so much at this point in the whole history of it since the 1960s. Uh, I would say that, that I've never seen language like that. Uh, but you know, it's possible that you could, could get some of those prelates to essentially become, in a way, Archbishop Lefebvre's, you know, where they say, I'm stepping out and I'm going to fight this thing. Uh, it's not inconceivable. Uh, and uh, so uh, I think that's a nightmare for them, and they would like to avoid that. So I, I think that they will... Uh, stick as much as they can to something that those Novus Ordo conservatives can hold on to. And they can say, well, you see, they affirm this. Just like Vatican II. Vatican II always has two things. <laughs> it always it says something very nice, like about the Pope, a supreme jurisdiction, and then it turns around and says something erroneous or heretical in almost mm-hmm. all cases. And the, the, the truth that it first states does not redeem the heresy. It doesn't. It doesn't save it. The the fact that you have you know said something true and then turned around and, and said something heretical. The, the the truth does not redeem the heresy. The heresy ruins the truth actually, because truth and 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 heresy are opposed. Mm-hmm. Father, uh, real fast, uh, do you do you see the potential of a schism happening here, or do you think this is going to be? Is this just a bunch of you know well, your it, ankle biting dogs uh, barking? It's it's a. Um, it is a possible scenario, and as Bishop Sandler said, it it's, uh, d- uh, depends on, uh, you know, d- to what extent uh, the uh, modernists who are sitting in the catbird seat uh, go with um, <coughs> making what they're doing obvious. On the other hand, uh, there too is, is, uh, will be the, the tendency, I think on the part of some, Perhaps those who have, uh, who are in the corner of the Novus Ordo, Ordo Church, who have the uh, the Latin Mass, the traditional rites and uh, ceremonies, to uh, end up, practically speaking, being kind of a high church wing. You know, the situation mm-hmm. uh, consistently since 1840 in the Anglican Church, where uh, you had a, a high church wing that. Uh, conducted um, uh, very uh, Catholic uh, rituals, uh, would uh, speak very favorably of of certain Catholic doctrines, uh, spoke of, uh, in private certainly, of the the rest of the uh, adherents, the the broad church and low church uh, wing of the Anglicans as as, as, uh, being Protestant and not having the correct doctrine, embracing uh, heretical doctrine, for instance, on, on, on baptism, but they were all part of the same organization. And the high church is very happy um, off in its own corner, as long as it could do its own, its own thing with the, uh, uh, the ritualism, 
and uh, you know, in its own ranks, talk about these these uh, different uh, doctrines. I remember seeing that up close because uh, very near to uh, the monastery I spent two years in was a high church Anglican seminary called Mishota House. And uh, you would, uh, if you would talk from uh, talk with people from over there, they had this this uh, idea that yes, they they had really you know retained Catholic traditions and Catholic doctrine, and that the rest of the uh, Anglican Church they really weren't interested in because they were off in their own corner and they were permitted to do their own thing. So I think that that's a uh, that's a possibility as well. Mm-hmm. For uh, that, uh, you you will find uh, the people who already have the uh, Latin Mass often in their own corner. Um, they've been able to accept the false doctrines uh, as they've been proclaimed so far, and say nothing about them as 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 the price for maintaining their approval and legitimacy in the Novus Ordo Church. So they may not be the ones to uh, say anything or. Uh, complain about uh, the doctrinal horrors that may come out of the Synod. It may be the uh, Novus Ordo conservatives who uh, will find that the new teachings and the new practices are simply too much for them. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, this is a whole new world for uh, those Novus Ordo conservatives who saw the Ratzinger era as a type of a restoration, just like the there was a restoration after the French Revolution, uh, a type of restoration, uh, a path in the right direction. They may not have been entirely happy with everything that Ratzinger said or did, but they saw the atmosphere as one of going in the right direction. Then with the advent of Bergoglio, their world has blown up. I mean, they have mm-hmm. a whole different view right now. He's 18 months into his false pontificate. And th- their world has changed entirely, uh, and you're hearing things that they never would have said under Ratzinger. Never. Uh, and, and they were deceived by Ratzinger, but I'm just trying to, in a way, analyze what's going on in their heads. Uh, they, they, they see a turn for the worse, and you know what's coming after Bergoglio, uh, and you know, the, 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 the whole idea that things were going back. Uh, has has been exploded for them. So, you know, who knows? Uh, but certainly I would say this, they're positing the logic of it. Whether they will act on that logic, who knows? But they are positing the logic of it. Mm. Well, time will tell. Uh, time will certainly tell. We'll know a lot more here in the next uh, three to six months as to what the reactions are going to be to this. So, Let's move on to some stories which I think are going to show our listeners that are going to give them a little bit of a Maybe uh, you know a reinforcement of why both your excellency and father are saying what you're saying. Interesting story broke out. Um, this was on, uh, I believe, this was on Barate Chaley back on the 19th of September, uh, which is just a couple of days ago now, four days ago, uh, between um, uh, Novus Ordo Cardinals Gerard Mueller and uh, Raymond Burke. Now, the former being the prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith also formerly known as the Holy Office, and then the latter being the now former prefect of the Apostolic Signatura. They got into a bit of a, um, 
a bit of a war with Francis, who Mr. Who Am I to Judge Francis is now furious with them because both of the aforementioned men just joined in the publication of a new book by Ignatius Press and author uh, Robert Dottero entitled Remaining in the Truth of Christ, Marriage and Communion in the Catholic Church. And this book reinforces, very boldly might I say, uh, the Catholic doctrine of the teaching of the indissolubility of marriage and the Church's teaching on those divorced and living in sin who may not, re- who may not receive the sacraments. Well, Bergoglio flew off the handle and is quite displeased with his attempt to undermine Casper. And if, interestingly enough, of all people, Mueller being the one to defend Catholic doctrine here, but the end result is that Bert got his walking papers to Malta where he will serve as a cardinal patron of the Sovereign Military Order of Malta, replacing Paolo Sardi, who just turned 80 years old. And that's quite a, that's a, quite a demotion, and it's also quite a statement. And it sounds to me like, who am I to judge, just judged and executed. Would you not agree, Your Excellency? <laughs> yes, uh, who am I to judge, uh, you know, has, uh, has just uh, operated the guillotine. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there are many <laughs> cases of this, uh, you know, of lesser personalities, uh, where uh, if you oppose him on his destruction of Catholic dogma and morality and, and everything else in the Church, for that matter, uh, you are going to have your head chopped off. And, and Burke was definitely o- overdue uh, and uh, was a leftover from the Ratzingerian uh, curia. Uh, uh, not that, again, you know, <laughs> I'm no fan of Ratzinger. It's just he, he had certain conservative people around him. Uh, in certain cases, uh, and uh, but uh, yes, it's very clear. Actions speak louder than words, and and the man, although he talks soft, and you know we can't judge, he's a ruthless Stalinist when it comes to enforcing what he thinks and and what ought to be. Uh, we, uh, I don't think uh, we've ever. Uh, you just see it in in like the, the Chinese purges and the, the purges in Russia and. Uh, it's uh, ruthless, and uh, I even saw a um, a report from Europe. The, the rumor in Europe is that he's going to do away with the congregation of for the doctrine of the faith altogether. Why not? Well, there is nothing left. It would be like uh, having uh, you know a janitor when you have no floors or something. <laughs> the the uh, or no bathrooms to clean or something. The the uh, there is no dogma left. You know, who am I to judge for for morality? And and uh, all you need is the Holy Holy Spirit, and you have an encounter, and, and then that's all the dogma dogma you need. Uh, so uh, now I don't know if that's rumor is true or not, but uh, that you know, Mueller might be another one to get his head chopped off. The uh, it's it's a very uh, interesting how it's played out and it shows the um, I guess you could say the the sea change with um, uh, Bergoglio that uh, uh, Mueller in effect had to uh, defend himself for getting involved with this um, project in the book and he's supposed to be the uh, head of the (laughs) congregation for the doctrine of the faith so he he ended up having to defend himself um, uh, because he uh, criticized Casper, who was simply spouting the, the, the uh, party line at the, the uh, February consistory about what Bergoglio wanted done uh, with marriage. So it's, the world is truly, truly turned upside down, because actually it, it uh, should be operating the other way. 
But that's Bergoglio again operating uh, his revolution sort of outside the system. Then as far as Burke, uh, so you have Mueller, uh, who is in a powerful position, getting a, a smackdown. And then you have Burke, who is uh, is recognized as, you know, a premier canonist and so on, and a, a, a careful sort of guy. Uh, you have him uh, getting demoted, in effect, from uh, being the chief justice of the Supreme Court to being the head of the Knights of Columbus. So <laughs> it, 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 Think of all of those swishing swords and, and, and feathered hats. Yeah, and it's it's the Knights of Malta. Is, is it's all purely symbolic. So uh, Bergoglio is sending a message. Uh, the um, uh, so you you had, had uh, Burke demoted, and then uh, Supich, who is uh, obviously the the uh, opposite in terms of his his ideology, uh, being exalted with the Sea of Chicago. So uh, uh, Bergoglio is sending messages. Yes, he is. Um, so moving on to the next story here, uh, it's an August 28 article uh, from uh, La Gazzetta del Mezzogiorno, indicated that the head of the Italian Episcopal Conference, uh, a Novus Ordo Bishop, Nunzio Galatino, says that, quote, the church must make everyone feel at home, including unconventional couples, quote-unquote, unconventional couples. The burden of exclusion from the sacraments is an unjustified price to pay, in addition to being de facto discrimination, unquote. Now, you know, here we have a new buzzword, discrimination, and I think that makes everyone tingle inside. Uh, you know, Bergoglio might call this a, uh, I don't know, a furtherance of, I don't know, doing theology on one's knees. I mean, I'm sure Casper is proud about this, you know, that, that uh, you know, we're, now we're talking about, you know, uh, this being de facto discrimination. This is, a, is this just yet another power play here for the, for the Senate ramping up? Well, Bergo, or uh, this um, Galatino. Galatino. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he <laughs> yeah, there you deserves go. the Galatino. <laughs> uh, he, he is... Um, he was uh, as he was Bergoglio's pick specifically to be the head of the Italian Bishops Conference, mm-hmm. and uh, again, it's Bergoglio is conveying a message by picking someone like this. Uh, you can't uh, possibly imagine that Bergoglio didn't know this. This Galatino didn't have ideas like this before he picked him to be the head of the Bishops Conference. So this is Bergoglio's way of communicating the new party line to the Italian bishops. And Galatino, because of his appointment by Bergoglio, is uh, not in effect, but in in fact, in an unassailable position to do whatever damage he wants to do and to get away with it. So he's he's, uh, uh, unchallengeable on these points. Mm -hmm. No matter how you want to slice it, we're dealing with something that uh, is a sin as the traditional catechism say, Christ to heaven for vengeance. Uh, it is condemned by St. Paul. It is condemned throughout sacred scripture. No matter how you want to slice it, what words you want to put on it, it's something that is contrary to God's law, very seriously so, and uh, cannot be permitted. So all of that nonsensical language really is dancing around the central issue. Are we going to say that this sort of thing is legitimate? 
And if it, if you're saying it's legitimate, it means that you are departing from the teaching of the Catholic Church. That's all it is. Simple as that. And the idea um, of uh, this uh, method of operation by Galatino is to hint, uh, of course, that it is legitimate and that there's nothing wrong with it, and we're um, conforming ourselves now to the uh, uh, modern secular ideas of what's right and what's wrong. And we hope that our uh, people will fill our emptying churches because of it. Yes, mm-hmm. that is at the bottom of this whole thing, is, is Europe especially, which, in which there's nothing left practically. Right. These next two stories, I think, reinforce both your excellency and father's predictions. Um, in the the last portion, we were talking about the 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 four the four real principal issues to be dealt with at this at this synod or the Oktoberfest, as father called. Um, and the first one is a story from uh, Chiesa Express Online, another article by Sandro Magister on September the 8th, indicating that Francis is ready to go for allowing communion for the divorced and remarried. And this ties right into Your Excellency's prediction. In this article, uh, Magister reflects on a document given to Bergoglio by Belgian Novus Ordo Bishop Johann Josef Bonny, a close collaborator with Casper. And in this document, it includes the following statements. There are increasingly numerous testimonies on how Bergoglio, as an archbishop, encouraged his priests to give communion to the cohabitating and remarried. He himself as Pope spoke by telephone last April with a civilly divorced and remarried woman of Buenos Aires and advised her to go receive communion in another parish if her pastor did not give it to her. Bishop Bonny, before being assigned to the Belgian Diocese of Antwerp in 2009, had been a close collaborator of Cardinal Casper at the Pontifical Council for Christian Unity, headed by the Cardinal. And in the memorandum with which he is now calling for, change not only in the practice but also in the doctrine of the Church on Marriage, citations of Pope Francis abound. So I think it's fair to say Bergoglio's mind is and has been made up on this for a long time. Would you not agree, Father? Uh, well, the the very fact that you have someone talking about the, the, the praxis that he followed when he was in Argentina, he, uh, he has made a decision that it is something that can be done, mm-hmm. uh, that there's no difficulty from uh, the point of view of, of morality, however he may conceive morality, uh, in in doing this, and that it is for him, it is simply a question of figuring out uh, a way to implement uh, permission for this in in practice, in a, in a face-saving way. So so he's decided the substance of the question. It's uh, now just just a matter of uh, how you're going to present it. The thing that you have to remember, and one of the the writers may have pointed this out, is that when it uh, the way that the synods are uh, currently set up, uh, the uh, you can, you have discussions uh, amongst the bishops, but ultimately, what really counts is uh, the what's called the post synodal exhortation, which uh, Bergoglio is. Bergoglio writes it. That's the, those are the rules of the Senate. So he can do anything that he wants. And uh, if he has decided that uh, this project is going to go forward, it's going to go forward. He, he will, in fact, authorize it. And I, of course, think he will. 
Yes, I agree. Uh, he's uh, he's a man of action. He he, he will mm. get what he wants somehow, somehow or other. And I don't think he will care as much as others about couching it in something that might please Novus Ordo conservatives. I don't think mm-hmm. he has any care about them. I, I think for him, the great 90% of people who deny the Blessed Sacrament and who believe in birth control and who, who uh, reject other Catholic doctrines, uh, that's, that's the people he's talking to and the people that he wants to be one with. And the, the the little section of the choir that is grumbling for him is is in my opinion insignificant. The the next story that follows up to this one, which is part of the the two I was just saying a minute ago, were were really reinforcing where His Excellency and Father are coming from, was a story from Novus Ordo Watch, uh, and of course many 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 other news agencies that picked up on this was this uh, uh, titled uh, Pope defies doctrine with papal wedding. And this is uh, September the 14th. Bergoglio presides over a wedding for 20 couples, many of whom have been living in sin, are divorced or annulled, and are remarried with children, both legitimate and illegitimate, as well as those who have remained chaste before marriage, uh, following the traditional Catholic doctrine. Uh, and there are several things that are pointed out in this. Uh, and you can go to Nova Sword Watch and check this out. It's it's a very, very well-written uh post to really dissect this whole this whole debacle here but you know when you look at the dress in the ceremony it's scandalous immodest strapless low-cut tops the people are slovenly dressed and one of the comments was that you know papal weddings are quite a rare thing you know jp2 only did it twice in 26 years of his non-pontificate and benedict the 16th never did it so don't think for one second this isn't sending a huge message to the world about the you know about the direction bergoglio is going to go with the senate would you agree your excellency Oh, of course. He's saying yeah. that again. We should, uh, you know, treat these people nicely, and that they're they're not to be considered public sinners, which they are, uh, but that they should be uh, treated just like ordinary human beings, and that living together is such a common thing now that it should be uh, generally accepted and should not have any opprobrium hanging over it, and uh, you know, just encourage these people to just get married now. The the attitude of the church in the past would be this: that you you are public sinners the way you are now. You must split up immediately before we can even do anything about your situation. Uh, you uh, then you must of course be instructed. Or you must live in in chastity apart, and uh, the uh, then you would have a very private wedding where she is in a dark blue dress. Uh, there might be a few friends. There would be no mass. It would be something very, very private, uh, and uh, it would be a shameful thing. In other words, that it, that it's uh, you've been living in shame, and that your wedding is not going to have any sort of fanfare about it. It is simply uh, a way of solving this awful problem that you've gotten yourself into. Um, that that's, uh, but I mean to to glorify living together and to consider it uh, I mean they would have to go to confession and all mm-hmm. those things uh, the, uh, to glorify it as if it's nothing you know just come down to the church in and, and your white dress and in and, and your white immodest uh, bathing suit and, and we'll marry you uh, is to, to say that there's really nothing wrong with this that this is, this is a normal way to act and you know really you should get married it's a good idea if you come down to the church and get married that's mm-hmm. the, message. the uh, other point that I would add 
is that by uh, by having this this whole array of, of people in uh, different uh, sorts of, of uh, spiritual and non-spiritual situations, he ends up putting everything on the same level uh, and reinforcing the idea that there really isn't too much difference uh, between uh, living chastely before marriage and living together before marriage. Uh, everyone is, is uh, here is, is uh, you know, put on the same level, and uh, everything is fine. We're not going to make a distinction or a difference uh, in any way, shape, or form because it really doesn't, uh, it really doesn't count in the eyes of God. And uh, that's the additional message that I think he's, he's uh, giving by throwing everyone together. You know, Father, uh, you know, one of the things that, that, that kind of hit me is, you know, what message does this send to the people that have been living chastely according to the church's rules? I mean, I, I'm thinking yes. to myself, you know, you know, if I were standing there, which, I mean, I would never be standing there, but, you know, if I were standing there, I, I would think to myself, I mean, why did I do what I did? Why? I mean, what's what's the point? Yes, imagine if you were an old man or old woman that lived chastely your whole life because of the indissolubility of marriage, and your marriage went bad, and now they're saying, well, it doesn't matter anyway, you can have another marriage and you can be all right, or that, you know, you've obeyed all the rules before you're in, during your courtship, never to fall into mortal sin, and now it doesn't matter because people living together can can be married with you, and it's, it's, we're all the same. Of course, it destroys uh, Catholic morality. It's it's another blow of the wrecking ball, mm-hmm. one by one. It, it's happening at at such an alarming rate. It's hard to keep up with it. <laughs> it's just one by one. The the standards of even common decency are just being torn down. Yeah, it's a mean, slap in the face of the virtuous, the people who have made you know enormous sacrifices, who who, who have uh, struggled with all sorts of terrible uh, situations and, and personal tragedies and uh, temptations for years and years and years, and he uh, blows all that away with his complete uh, disregard for uh, the moral law. Yeah, I mean, it also sends a message too to the, you know, the young people you know who are you know dating or you know they're in a courtship. I mean, it sends a message to them like, well, you know, I'm not paying attention to this. You know, what's what's the point? I mean, it, it, you know, you're right, Father. Not so it, bad. it just sends. No, it's not so bad. I mean, what's it really matter if we live together first or you know live in sin for a little while just to try each other out? I mean, it's just it, it, it's 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 just terrible. It's just really terrible. Um, let's let's move on here. These are these are some some extra stories, but they actually do do tie into somewhat of the synod and the direction things are going. And Father, uh, I think the last time that we were all on the show together, you were talking, you were giving us a constant update on what was happening with the Franciscans of the Immaculate. And since the last show, uh, a lot's happened since then. You want to tell us about that? Yes, Francis had a. Um uh, had a uh, meeting with a large uh, number of the uh, younger members of the Franciscans of the Immaculate, and I believe he had it in the uh, uh, chapel or in an assembly room at the Santa Marta, which is, of course, where uh, where he lives. And uh, in effect, it was a 
reinforcement of the Bergoglio party line. You'll recall that uh, he did not like uh, the fact that the Franciscans and the Immaculate had drawn many young people because they had uh, be, because they had the old mass. He had he appointed a special commissioner named uh, Father Volpe, in effect, to uh, tamp this down. He forbade the Franciscans uh, of the Immaculate. Excuse me, from accepting novices or from having um, ordinations. In effect, uh, uh, he closed their university, their seminary. So uh, he, uh, all of these were um, uh, sanctions were imposed uh, by this this Father Volpe, and Francis had a uh, meeting with the younger members of the Franciscans of the Immaculate. In effect, it was a way of, of telling them that, yes, he was on board for uh, all of these different uh, punitive measures. And as a result of it, they uh, did lose, um, uh, as a result of the measures in general, it did lose quite a number of, of uh, uh, members. There are at least 40 of them who asked for dispensations already. I also read an article uh, I believe it was again on Rossi Chaley, uh, which uh, stated that these uh, members of the Franciscans of the Immaculate who wanted to leave the order and uh, join dioceses uh, in Italy to where they could celebrate the traditional Mass were also having difficulty doing this, that there had been different obstacles that were put uh, in their way. So you can see, uh, again, this... Um, uh, prejudice in this program that Bergoglio has uh, against uh, people who have uh, uh, traditional aspirations. Hmm. Do you suspect, Father, that um, at, you know at some point in time we're just going to see a total dissolution of this group? Uh, I uh, I don't know, but uh, it, it will be. It seems to be so far the death of a thousand cuts. In other words. Uh, there are all these these um, uh, little laws and little initiatives that are undertaken uh, against them that it will make it increasingly difficult for them to operate, and uh, that's 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 a favored method of operation of uh, totalitarian regimes. So mm -hmm. uh, more of the same wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Uh one last article here I think we can finish up with. Well, there's actually two. Um, the, the, the story which was uh, – it, it was a Vatican Insider story talking about that, that this whole situation uh, in, in Iraq is not a clash between Islam and Christianity. And, uh, Father, you want to talk about that for just a second? Because I, this, is, uh, this is really an incredible uh, – talk about making you – know, uh, somehow trying to you know, put the square peg in the round hole here. Yeah, this was um, Bergoglio's Secretary of State, Archbishop uh, uh, Parolin, who was trying to uh, portray um, the uh, all of this this uh, awful these awful uh, things that were uh, taking place in the Middle East as uh, 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 something that's somewhat of uh, uh, an abuse and that really doesn't affect anything of the essence of of Islam, but of course. You know, the uh, truth of the matter is that the uh, principles of action, the so-called moral principles of Islam, are based on their false doctrines. 
so the 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 Koran uh, and the principles that allow them to conduct jihad are the same ones that allow them to uh, behead people who in effect are uh, are innocent. To say that it's not a, a conflict between uh, Christianity and Islam is insane, because at, at the root of the of the bad conduct of Islam is a false religion. But they don't dare say that because of uh, ecumenism. Mm-hmm. Your Excellency, do you have anything to add to that? No, that's a very good analysis of it. it, it obviously, uh, all of the violence that that uh, we see in Islam comes directly from the Quran. Uh, the, uh, the permission to do terrible things to those who are perceived to be against Allah. It's all in there. I read it myself. Mm-hmm. Well, the last uh, the last article, I know, Your Excellency, you have something to say about this, and that's the story from the Vatican Insider. Uh, it was September the 1st of 2014. Sports contributes to a culture of encounter. So we started with encounter, and we're going to end with encounter. So, so, uh, Maybe so football does. I think there's a lot of encountering in American football. Yeah, there's been a lot of encountering in the last couple of weeks. We've seen a new culture and a whole new encounter lately. It's uh, yeah, it's quite inspiring. Um, <laughs> We're encountering jail cells, I think. Yeah, jail cells for disciplining their children with switches. Ugh, you know, <laughs> horrible. Uh, so we have uh, we have Bergoglio who you know who goes to I guess it was a soccer game or something of that nature, but he says. Um, Thank you for granting me my wish to see champions and coaches of different religions compete in an, in an event inspired by the values of friendship and peace, Francis said during an audience at the Paul VI Hall. You are in a position to promote peaceful and civil coexistence. This is the culture of encounter, he told the participating sportsmen. Your Excellency, I just heard a sermon from from you about two weeks ago talking about sports and all these horrible things about organized sports. You don't understand, Your Excellency. It's about the encounter. I mean, you know, how could you not recommend your parishioners to have an encounter? I think you're proselytizing. That's what I think. Well, <laughs> and I think you're judging. Yeah, you're judging too. And well, I was just made a judgment that he was proselytizing. So we're both wrong, and we should just forget about our doctrinal differences and and play a good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Oh boy. Well. I think we have, uh, you know, Your Excellency Father, we've taken enough of your time here this evening. It's been a really good show. It's it, it's just there's been so much to cover, and unfortunately we just couldn't get to it all. But I don't want to keep you to an obscene hour here. So uh, before we go, Your Excellency, uh, give us some news from the seminary. What's happened over the summer? Uh, you just came back from an Episcopal visit to Europe, and now the seminary is packed to the brim from what I understand. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, that doesn't mean we have a hundred or anything like that. Our seminary is quite small. We have uh, 11 uh, young men, and then we have uh, two that are um, Novus Ordo priests who uh, have, uh, you know, one is American, the other is Cuban. He is uh, hopefully getting his visa very shortly. Uh, who want to be trained according to tradition and want uh, true ordination. So uh, it's a very unusual situation for us. We never had that. I think it's Bergoglio effect. Uh, these were uh, priests, uh, obviously, who were conservative, and, and they have been put over the the edge due to our position, the state of Kentism, by Bergoglio. 
because it, it, their their former position is just no longer tenable. Uh, that this man is somehow the vicar of Christ on earth. So I think that's significant. Uh, I mean, it, it's a tiny number uh, in itself, but it's significant that for the first time we're getting people like that. Uh, and uh, I also think it's significant that we've seen an upsurge in vocations. Uh, uh, so it, it's uh, it's good. where They come from various countries, uh, Nigeria, France, Germany, um Russia, Poland, United States. Uh, so uh, we have quite a, a international seminary here. Uh, so it's it's all good. It's just that uh, you know, as we fill up, uh, our expenses go up too. Uh, so I would, if any of our benefactors are listening to this, so we we have to keep up with all of the uh, support of these seminarians, their health insurance, and we have to buy vehicles and all of the things that pertain to ordinary life. Uh, so th- that goes up. We also have to start thinking about uh, an expansion of the seminary because. Uh, if everyone perseveres, uh, I will be able to accept no one next year. Absolutely Mm -hmm. no one next year. Uh, So I would hate to have to say to a young man who has all of the qualifications to be a priest and has all the promise to be a priest, to say, sorry, we can't take you. Uh, That would be a horrible, horrible thing. And so we have to think about expanding the seminary. So... uh, that that's the bad the good news and the bad news the good news is that it's it's expanding the bad news is that it's mm-hmm. expensive to expand <laughs> well I, I would uh i would remind our listeners that that uh if you're not a subscriber to the seminary's newsletter uh for uh $750 a Excuse me, seventy-five dollars per year. You can uh, you can get a, a you know you can get a, a yearly subscription. It comes out every month. It, it is uh, just superb reading. Definitely, uh, definitely, uh, you know, well worth the donation and uh, great insight. Father, before we let you go, what's happening over at SGG Resources? Oh, uh, a number of things. We have um, we're just about to put up our. Uh, Add for our calendar, which is uh, based on the uh, stations in honor of the Holy Face, uh, a series of, of uh, special devotions uh, in connection with uh, each month of uh, each month in the calendar. So that's going to uh, uh, go up. A uh, number of projects that uh, I've been working on. Of course, I've been working on the with you and Stephen the final touches on the anti-modernist reader. Mm-hmm. which uh, will be appearing soon. You can uh, find more information about that on uh, True Restoration. Our uh, viewership, as far as our Internet uh, webcasts, has uh, consistently increased. We get a, a, a many people now who uh, view our Sunday and our daily Masses. Uh, our school has uh, uh, started up at the beginning of September, I think we have the the largest uh, school enrollment that uh, uh, we've ever had so far in the history of our school, so that's a a good thing. Uh, I will be um, going down to the seminary to begin my teaching schedule in uh, 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 this coming week, Sunday, so that's something also that, uh, that I'm looking forward to. And we, of course, also welcome your donations through uh, SGG uh, Resources to uh, support our uh, apostolate here 
and uh, to support the priests, the poor priests in other parts of the world that we support. Indeed. I would uh, I would encourage listeners, please please use SGG resources. I believe the seminary has a donate page as well where you can have masses said. It's really imperative to support our clergy. And uh, to find out more information about Most Holy Trinity Seminary and get all the sermons, that uh, the fantastic sermons that come from Most Holy Trinity Seminary, you can go to their website at www.mostholytrinityseminary.org. And if you want to find out more about St. Gertrude the Great, you can go to www.sgg.org or Father Chikata's end of end of the business there at sggresources.org. Your Excellency and Father, thanks for the extra innings tonight. I know it's getting late. I really appreciate your time and enjoy, and enjoy spending the evening with you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, God bless. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye. Once again, we'd like to thank our show sponsor, Novus Ordo Watch, for their support, both financial and material, in bringing this show to you. Please be sure to visit their website at www.novusordowatch.org. And if you're so inclined, you can keep up with the very latest in the happenings from the modernist Vatican and Bergoglio's latest buffoonery. They do a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week job on it over there. If you have any questions for our show guests, you can always reach out to us at francis.watch at truerestoration.org. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you would please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contribution is the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. If you have any questions or comments or would like to reproduce our copyrighted work on your channel in some format, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at mail at truerestoration.org. For the Restoration, I am Justin Soder. May God bless you.